3: Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass podcast, this for UFC Jacksonville. Are we calling these UFC Jacksonville? Cody Saptic's here with me to break down this card coming off the heels of UFC 249. Um, Are we calling these Jacksonville? Because we're just in Jacksonville for the foreseeable future. Um, I don't know which is which, yeah, exactly.
1: They're all Jacksonville.
3: So, yeah, this one, obviously, main event is uh, Anthony Smith versus... Glover Teixeira. Um shall we just get into it? Anthony Smith, minus 170, uh, and Glover Share could be had, a four plus 250, take it away, Cody.
1: Yeah, well, jumping out right from Saturday's event, uh, we're getting right back into the rhythm of things, Paul, so yeah, we'll, um, we'll yeah, recap. Coming out, everybody, and I, I'm...
3: Sorry, yeah, well, we're having a little bit of delays, uh, issues between us, so if it sounds a little bit like weird today, guys, just uh, heads up on that. Um, but, yeah, what was I going to say? Um, yeah, we'll, we'll do a little recap at the end there uh, for the people, uh, look at the time codes for any of that. But, yeah, let's get through the uh, the fights here.
1: Yeah, so rolling into another event in Jacksonville. I don't know if we're all calling them Jacksonville, but it's basically like UFC 1 quarantine jacksonville ufc2 quarantine jacksonville which is what we got up now and then we'll have to tackle the next one as they come but yeah starting off with the main event i gave out no underdogs on last week's card, so let's start this one off with an underdog i'm gonna go with glover tixera here over anthony smith i know a lot of people who are probably fans of the show saying geez cody again picking against anthony smith when is he gonna learn his lesson that smith just gets the job done i'm honestly thinking that smith is just A strong case of just a massive overachiever. I mean, largely, if you look at his entire career, we're not going to talk about his entire career here, but I mean, yeah, this is a guy that's lost four fights in a row. This guy's a guy that's lost against people you've never heard of. He's been knocked out eight times. He's been submitted four times. I don't know how he's gotten as far as he has, but there's no denying he's on a great run here. So let's just start where that run starts. From him jumping to 205 pounds so important to note that even though he is six foot four he's not exactly the biggest 205 er he was a big 185 pounder. he was a massive middleweight but as far as 205 goes i feel like his power hasn't really translated over to 205 pounds he's lengthy he's rangy he's a guy that's got good strikes don't get me wrong but i don't think it's nothing that's gonna hit you with that one shot power that's gonna hurt you and knock you out in glover i mean god The guy keeps moving forward. You got to have to sting him. You got to have to keep him off. So let's go back to Anthony Smith jumping up to 205 pounds. He gets Rashad Evans. What a gift from the UFC. Rashad's on a four fight losing streak. He's lost to Dan Kelly. He's lost to Sam Malvey. He's not Rashad anymore. They give it to Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith runs with it. He gets Shogun, same treatment. He gets Volcan Uzdemir, a guy not high up on. This is important here now, right? It's not just a quick knockout. He loses the first round to Volcan Uzdemir. He just gets outstruck. That's fair. Again, I'm not very high up on Anthony Smith on his striking. I don't think he's one of the better strikers in the division. He's an okay striker, but clearly he's going to give up that disadvantage to Volcan Uzdemir. He gets outstruck in round one. Round two is key here. Round two, he gets taken down by Volcan Uzdemir. Volkan's not known for his wrestling in the slightest bit. Volkov is definitely not known for his jiu-jitsu in the slightest bit, and yet he takes down Anthony, and he has his way with Anthony. Anthony has a problem with shell-up defense. He does it both stand-up and on the ground. When he's standing up, a lot of the time, if you just barrage this guy with punches, he just puts both of his hands up like phone booth, defends himself, obviously, but he just stays in one place. When he's on the ground a lot of the time, <clears throat> you'll see him get to his hands and knees, but he doesn't advance his position. It's a defensive shell, But it does you no favors in terms of guys taking advantage of that. He does that round two against Volcan. Round three against Volcan, Volcan's so gassed out that they're both gassed out, to be fair. But Volcan's just so gassed out that Smith ends up on top of him. He takes the back. He chokes out Volcan. It's a pretty win. It extends the winning streak to three. But, But I see lots of holes there. The Jones fight, not even worth talking about. It's five rounds. Nothing happens. I don't even know how he got a title shot. On one hand, you could say, Jesus Christ, he just went 25 minutes against the GOAT, you know, one of the greatest of all time. But, like, that's that's not the feather in the cap. You got to beat Jones. Like, he'll go five rounds with anybody, it seems like. You got to at least do something. And nothing was done there. So we go to the Gustafson fight. The Gustafson fight's another case of, it's that aging legend. I throw him in the same category as Rashad Evans and Shogun. I mean, Gustafson retires after the fight. But you look at that fight, and that's not, that's not the mauler. That's not Alexander Gustafson. The first two rounds, he takes off. And then the third round... Very key here, Paul. Alex Gosseson decides, you know what? I'm going to try to take this guy down. And he does take him down. And he has his way with him. And then in the fourth round, whether he's tired, whether he throws, decides he's going to retire. But Smith capitalizes that one opportunity and gets the job done. So I'm not saying he's a lucky fighter. He's a skilled fighter. He's a guy that stays in the fight long enough. He's a guy that's got to stretch you. He's a slow starter. He's going to give out the first two rounds. And then he's going to try to capitalize as you wear down. If this is a three-round fight, I got Glover all day. But it's a five-round fight. So I have to acknowledge the fact that, geez, you know what? His biggest weapon here coming in against Glover air is that he's nine years younger than Glover. He's 31 years old versus a 40-year-old Glover air. He's faster than Glover. He's more mobile. He's got a better kick game than Glover. But that pressure is just going to wilt him down. I think Glover's got the advantage everywhere. I do think low-key, he well, he is a better striker. He's got bigger power. Um, you look at his last couple fights, and it, it's a washed version of Glover. Doesn't look that bad. He stood in there with Krylov, a guy that another guy that was like eleven years younger than him, and he banged with him. Young Kudalaba, who wants to stand and bang on Kudalaba? He gets hit, but he exchanges with him. Carl Roberson, great kickboxer. Carl Roberson almost has him KO'd with those uh Travis Brown elbows to the head. Remember that? Mm-hmm. And then he just gets on top of him and submits him. The guy's resilient, Paul. He's old, but he's resilient. He's a little tank engine that just keeps going. And he's on a 3 fight winning streak right now, and his best days are behind him. But he's got more than enough to be journeyman gatekeepers. And even though Anthony Smith appears to be an upper echelon light heavyweight, a top five guy, he's got some cool little ranking next to his name. He's a journeyman gatekeeper. And Glover's going to take advantage. I think Glover bops him up on the feet, takes him down at some point. And I'm hoping he finishes, because I do admit, if this goes 4-5, and five, Glover is 40 years old. Glover did mm-hmm. look a little tired against Krylov. Not overly tired, but that was a split decision. It was a close fight. I would, I'd like to see him take out Smith inside the disc. And the good thing there with Smith is that when Smith loses, it's typically inside the distance. Like it's so shocking that he went the distance with Jones because it's like Thiago Santos finished him, um, which is, you know, fairly obvious, but Josh Neer finished him. Antonio Braganito finished him. Roger Gracie finished him. Adlan Amagov finished him. Jesse mm-hmm. Forbes finished him. Mm-hmm. Jake Heck finished him. They all finish him, right? Yep. So, So Glover's going to have to try to finish him so that it doesn't extend out and he gives Smith that chance to fight his way back into it. Because that's what Smith's been typically doing. But because of giving us a good little price tag here, I mean, I look at Glover and I see plus 155 in on that. I could not back Anthony Smith at a price tag 175 against almost anybody in the division,
2: mm-hmm. let alone
1: Glover, who I think, again, low-key people sleeping on him. That could be good for business, man. This guy's got all the skills in the world. If he does get on top, his jiu-jitsu yeah. black belt is going to carry him easy. I do see pass for him. What are you thinking on this one?
3: I mean, Cody, you didn't really leave any meat left for me to say here. Um, basically, in the last like six minutes, what I did is I f- I was waiting for those words to come out of your mouth, Cody. I wanted to bet Glover. I was just like, I don't understand this line. Glover's been good to me in the past. I pretty like historically, like I just seem to know Glover's abilities. Like I I've always been on the right side of his wins and losses. I've been on him throughout this uh, most recent stretch where he's been fighting more untested guys like Krylov, Kutalaba, and Roberson. Um, But, you know, up-and-comers, and and they're trying to take Glover's spot, and he's been able to hold his own and maintain. He's old, but, uh, yeah, the skills are all there. Um, Anthony Smith's pretty easy to take down. I think his grappling's good enough, for the most part, maybe to keep himself out of big trouble, but Glover's got such a good head-and-arm choke that... I think he can latch that on to anybody. If it's early, he gets them down. They're not all that sweaty. He can get the submission there. I do worry the same way as you that uh, we get to four rounds, four and five. I know Smith is. He may look tired, but he's he's not going to stop coming at you. But yeah, in the mean, like while you were talking, I made sure to place my wager on Glover Teixeira. I just needed the seal of approval. <laughs> you know how these things are. I just needed the seal of approval. Let's move on to the next fight on the card here. We've got Ovan St. Prue taking on B- uh, Big Ben Rothwell. Heavyweight fight. Ovan St. Prue moving up here. Uh, Ovan St. Prue 140. Ben Rothwell plus 120. Not going to lie, man. There's a lot of weird fights on this card because you have like guys that are... You know, nobody. It's quarantine. You know, people are eating comfort food. I don't know if they really want to it's cut weight. Time. Yeah, so like you have a bunch of people moving up weight classes and stuff like that. I kind of like OSP's chances. They're basically the same height. He's got the same reach. Obviously, he's going to be giving up like thirty to forty pounds. Maybe, maybe thirty is on the low end, but um. Ben Rothwell's just so fucking slow at this point. Hit him to the body. Hit him to the body. Just be faster, more athletic, and I think OSP can win this fight here. Big Ben Rothwell's got, obviously, a big size advance, but I just think the speed... Speed is going to kill in this fight, in my, opinion. in my opinion. What about you?
1: Okay, so I was thinking along the same lines. <clears throat> Again, I haven't had a ton of... Uh, I've looked at this fight enough. Like, I'm confident in this pick, but... Um, it's been like what 2 days that I've been able to like physically look at these fights have a yeah. good line and figure out what I'm looking at because there's so many cards lined up next to each other but again when the fight was announced and I didn't have a ton of time to delve into it mm-hmm. I was seeing the same thing as you jeez you know what OSP wouldn't be a small heavyweight by no stretch like, he's so thick and muscular at 205 and he already stands at what 6263 He's, he's gonna be able to transition over and just what not cut weight not cut that 20 pounds maybe put on 10 pounds of muscle and come in like a rumble johnson 235 mm-hmm. if he wanted to well then I, I don't think he's gonna be out of place he's way faster yeah. than ben rothwell pretty, pretty much everybody's faster than ben rothwell but uh, but any light heavyweight that's going to be coming up is going to have that advantage rothwell's initially supposed to take on jean Vellante who is also a light heavyweight, jumping up to 205 pounds. So in some ways, maybe he's been getting ready for that, but look, that's, that's, not, that's irrelevant. We won't even talk about that. The, the, the thing is, is that John was going to have that advantage. He's going to be much faster than him. OSP is going to be much faster than him. <clears throat> that's fine. But upon looking at it, even if OSP is much faster than him, what's going to do for him, right? He doesn't throw a ton of punches to begin with. His punches aren't going to knock out Ben Roswell who, if anything, has a cast iron chin still. Yeah, maybe he's a lot slower than he used to be. Maybe his power is not as good as it used to be. Maybe his strikes, uh, he doesn't throw as much volume as he used to, but it's like, the guy can take a lickin'. So, OSP would have to, what? Remain on his bicycle for three rounds, mm-hmm. backpedal and strike. He seems to have cardio issues. And, and one would assume him going up to to, to heavyweight is going to help. That. that. He doesn't should. have to cut weight anymore. He was a big guy, he probably struggled to make weight, to be honest with you. Okay, that should help him. He should have more gas in the tank. If that's the version of him that comes out here, then yeah, maybe he does. He's able to stay on his bicycle and he's able to outstrike them. But let's look at just strictly the numbers from OSP over the last, like, little bit, right? His last fight against uh, Michael Malanchuk, he gets smoked in the first round. I mean, he takes a bad, brutal beating. In the second round, he takes down the inexperienced non grappler and he hits him with Devon Proust. Prior to that, against Nikita Krylov, jeez, and the first, he landed four strikes that entire fight. He got smoked in the first round. He mm-hmm. didn't throw anything. In the second round, he gets taken down. He gets submitted. The fight before that against Dominic Reyes, he got outstruck ninety-four to thirty-eight, and he almost got knocked out. He got knocked out in like five minutes in the third round, like the buzzer rang, and he's on the floor. Like, if no that's shame in losing to Reyes, but. No, no, no shame, no shame, no shame at all. It, but it's just important to note that he did basically get tripled up on the striking mm-hmm. in that fight, right? The Tyson Pedro fight, that's a joke. What does Pedro do? Well, nothing. The fight before that is Ilya Latifi. Latifi drops him and then submits him. So yeah, that's fair. his last five fights. In his last five fights, that, now, even if you just look at his career numbers, 23 strikes landed against Corey Anderson, 21 against Rogerio de Lima, not mm-hmm. a single strike landed against Okami, he just took him out and them. Uh, the best he's ever landed was 76 strikes against Volcan Uzdemir. That's the most he's landed. Mind you, he lost that fight. It was a minus 350 favorite over a debuting Volcan Uzdemir, who took the fight on short notice. So... 76, let's say that's his high watermark, right? Well, surely he's going to go and out-punch a heavyweight. No, not necessarily. Rosswell throws numbers like that all the time. Mm -hmm. He landed 70 against Andre Orlovsky. He landed 70 against Ivanov. He landed 77 against Junior DeSantos. So to be honest with you, with OSP, he's dropped guys before. Guys that were smaller than him. Guys that were chinny. Guys that were aging veterans. Guys like Shogun Hua you have a perception that maybe he's a big power puncher but he's not and i think he relies on a little too much so without him going out there and just cleanly being on his bicycle for three rounds Mm -hmm. and out punching ben rothwell he's never really shown an ability to do that in his career what he does do is he has a good first round he'll kick a lot in the first round but as soon as rothwell pressures him and they are forced to clinch up he's going to get very tired wrestling around with a man who weighs 265 pounds his arms will start to gasp he'll start to fatigue and i feel like that'll be his undoing I'm going to take Rothwell here with dog money, um, plus 120. I mean, again, it is dog money. It's not great dog money. But I feel like after the PED suspension, he has not looked the same. He's 1-2 and in the Mm -hmm. UFC. He looked terrible against Stefan Struve. uh, But there's still enough there to pull it around. And in the Stefan Struve fight, it's important to note, once he loses the point, he realizes, I'm going to lose this fight. I lost the first round. Yeah. I'm losing the second round. I was, round, and I was they just lost a point.
3: Yeah, I was on him there, and I was just like, "What? What are you doing? Like, just go, go after them. Like, this is the the way to beat Struve is to like bum rush him. Like, go after him. Like, absolutely try to k- kill him. Like, the chin, the chin is the weakness. That's what you do."
1: You have to go after this guy exactly like you're saying, and he just sets back and he sits back and he kind of sat back a little too much against Blagoy as well. Like he's moving forward, but he's just not engaging enough. Yep. So I, I got him bad too, and I'm like, oh my god, this guy's killing me. Like he's done. What's what's he doing? But as soon as he loses the point, he's just like, ah, fuck it. He walks in and he knocks him out. The key in that is though, in the post fight interview where he's like, geez, you know what? That's really all I had to do. All I had to do is just walk forward and throw punches. I'm going to fight <laughs> my next fight like I'm down a point. Because I, and, and, and it one was one. like that's, that's, a mental, that's a mental thing. It's a, it's a mental hurdle, and he just got over it because he just lost his last two fights. He was coming off a long suspension. He hasn't won in years. He hasn't looked good in years. He hasn't knocked out a man in years. <clears throat> he goes out there, and he lets his hands go for one moment, and he KOs a guy. Oh, that's what I get. That's what I do. I'm a fighter. That's what I do. He pressures OSP. I think he's got a shot. So, anyways, I'm going to take that dog up plus one twenty. Mm-hmm. Little punt sprinkle for the fans, okay? Little okay. punt sprinkle here for the fans. I don't know. I... Ben Ross will by submission eleven to one.
3: Okay, eleven to one. Yeah. Okay, that's that's more up my alley. I think I'm going to probably. I'm. I'll, we'll see what these what they look at the weigh-ins, but. it's probably a stay away from me. Um, I got lots of other dogs on this card as we go through that uh, I'm interested in, so I don't know if I have to be on every single spot, but uh, we'll see as the week plays out. But uh, I like... I understand everywhere where your head's at. It's, uh, it's a really weird fight. Uh, next one up, we've got a lightweight fight between Drew Dober and Alexander Hernandez. Dober, minus 120. Hernandez, plus 100. This is the fight that, when I look around, our Df- or DFS and MMA gambling Twitter scene, this is the one that people seem to be the most confident about, but on both sides. You have people... Going all in on, on Alexander Hernandez. You have people pumping the tires of Dober. Dober is a guy whose career has really seemed to turn around. Um, this is the best we've ever seen from him, and he just keeps getting better and better, just stacking up wins now. Hernandez was a guy with a lot of promise. Some of that shine may have worn off when Cowboy kind of exposed him, but I've seen some interviews with him. He's back, you know, He's back in the gym. He never really stopped, and... He's uh, He seems to be getting after it. It's a really, really interesting fight. It's a close to a pick Honestly, I don't really have a strong take on it yet. What about you?
1: Yeah, I I don't know how you can have a strong take either side. Like you're saying, people are definitely going all-in on Dober. I haven't seen as many people going all-in on Hernandez, but I see where the love for Dober is. I'm actually surprised he's not a slightly bigger favorite. <clears throat> it it really comes down to which guy is going to employ his game plan better. If Hernandez goes in with a boring game plan, because that's what he's going to require here, he needs to just pin Dober against the cage and try to get him down if he can. But even if he can't get him down, he needs to have him up against the cage. hmm if he goes in with the game plan of stand in front of him, bob in and out of the pocket and try to strike, which is kind of what he's been doing, it's not going to be a good night. I'm not saying Dober's going to knock him out clean like he's been doing to guys, but he's going to get hit with shots and then it's going to make him reconsider. And like we've seen in other fights from him, I think the Cerrone fight may have changed him mentally a tad bit. He was so young, he was so brash, he was so cocky, he clearly never got his ass handed to him. And when Cerrone did that to him, God, oh, geez, he comes in against Ronaldo his next time out, and he's not that same guy. Talked some good game still, but he just didn't seem all the same. Um, I, I would have to go with Drew Dober. I would have to go with Drew Dober just on the recency bias of Alexander Hernandez looked like, is, is he a flash in the pan for us, Paul? He comes into the UFC, nobody, not, no. nobody, he's, he's gives the mm-hmm. nobody gives him a chance against Benil Darius. Nobody gives him a chance against Benel Darius, right? Bang. 42 seconds. Got the KO. Got the KO. Then he beats Olivier Obe who is now released from the UFC. It was a relatively close fight, although he 100% won and gave a good account of himself. Then he gets the Cerrone fight. That goes to show you how the UFC is pushing this guy along. He's two fights into his UFC career. He's 10 fights into his pro career. And he gets a fight against Donald Cerrone, a big spot. doesn't live up to it. It gets KO'd. Now coming in against Francisco Tornaldo's next time out, he landed 25 significant strikes. Rewatch that fight back. He's pulling all of his punches. He comes in on a lot of like linear motions. He doesn't have great footwork. He bobs in and out. He's very athletic. He's fast, but everything he does, he comes in straight on the same line. So in the Darius fight, it ended very quick. The Obey Mercier fight, he's not a great striker. The Cerrone fight, Cerrone is a great striker. And Cerrone realized he's coming in straight lined every time. That's why he started just throwing up the knee to the body because he knew the kid would just run right into the knee to the body. He just like figured it out in real time, right? Mm -hmm. That's what a good striker is going to do. Francisco Trinaldo is also a good striker. And now his next time out, it should be the same thing. But Trinaldo, 40 years old, doesn't really let his hands go that much. They both land the same amount of strikes. It's a close fight. That fight could 100% get awarded to either guy, depending on what style of judge you are. However, the fight's in Texas. The kid's from Texas. It's going to go to him, and it does. So he could easily be 2-2 and in the UFC, and then the one win is just the win over Darius. She was his debut. He caught him before the fight really started. It was 42 seconds, you know? Whereas Dover's just been giving a clean account of himself every time Mm -hmm. against a lot of lower echelon opponents. But every time you just see him get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. So now we're in quarantine times. Who's going to benefit from this quarantine times? When I looked into Hernandez, it turns out he's from a small camp. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to all of the advice his coaches give him between rounds, like go back to any between rounds in his UFC career and listen to the advice. Mm -hmm not great advice they, they say a lot of stuff actually they get called out one time by trevor whitman he's like the guy's talking too much like he's just he's saying too much stuff I, I don't know that this isn't just a kid with raw talent raw potential that he was at if he was at att for three or four years maybe this is a world title contender we all thought he was a future contender but i'm not so sure whereas dover's just been looking good and so that goes back to who's going to employ the right game plan Dober's not a Maybe not a Cowboy Cerrone striker, but but why isn't he? He's a two-time amateur Muay Thai world champion. His striking is clean as fuck. He's got Mm -hmm. big power. He just knocked out Nazrat Hakkhoras, which totally crushed my bets, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. I I love Nazrat Hakkhoras. Dover is no joke. He's coming into his own. And by the way, he's the lead training partner for Justin Gaethje, who just got an incredible win on Saturday. The guy's in great shape. He's on a slick little roll right now. And I, I do feel that. So Hernandez is still unknown. Is he good? I don't know. He looked good against Ronaldo. He looked good against Cerrone. But but that one 42 second knock of only that one time whereas dober shows you something every time every time dober shows you a little something more but one thing is that because we've seen a lot on dober we do know he's not great up against the cage and you can take him down he's good at getting up and hernandez isn't good at holding guys down either so even if hernandez does get the takedown dober gets back up but that's why the cage game is going to be huge it's who plays the game plan and i'm willing to bet that that We've got uh, Drew Dober, great shape, ready to roll, motivated. Just saw his buddy win in that fashion, and he's got an adrenaline coursing through his veins. It's time It's time to go. And so I think minus 120, I'll take Drew Dober.
3: All, all good points. Uh, looking forward to that fight either way. Um, we move on. We've got uh, uh, Ricky Simon taking on Ray Borg. Ricky Simon, minus 160, favorite. Ray Borg can be had four plus 140. I saw this at, like, plus 160 earlier. You saw a lot of people jump on. This is the one that I've been really thinking long and hard about. Um, I mean, Ricky... Okay, so first things first, I have no intentions whatsoever of betting Ricky Simon. I know he's got, like, a a five-and-a-half-inch reach advantage, but basically... Once I saw him get knocked out by Faber, I can't trust this guy anymore. Um, literally, yeah, I just, I that one burned me so bad that it's probably deep in my bones, I guess. Um, I know Ricky Simon was taken down a whole bunch of times by Mirab Davalishvili in their one fight, but for the most part, his wrestling is pretty decent. And Ray Borg coming up from 125 again. To 135, I don't know if he's able to hold him down. I could see this being a striking affair. In that situation, I would favor Ricky Simon, but I don't trust his chin, and Ray Borg is is super talented. So it would be a dogger pass I'm going to be passing on this one. Well, what about you?
1: So that's a very, very large problem about Ricky Simon, and I couldn't agree more, is that low-key, maybe it's not low-key, you know about it, his chin is no good. And I'm not saying that because Faber caught him. I'm saying that because you look at his first pro loss, Anderson Dos Santos, not known for his power punching mm-hmm. whatsoever. He drops Ricky Simon, hurts him bad, and then submits him. So on paper, it's a submission loss. But he seriously got hurt by a non-power puncher there. Bye, no problem. Ronnie Yaya. Oh, by the way, Merof Dabashvili actually dropped him as well, standing. Merof yeah. Dabashvili, the decision machine. Two KO wins in his entire career. He 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 seriously hurt Ricky Simon as well. Ronnie Yaya, Ronnie Yaya, can't, he's not a strike, you know, he, he throws caution to win because he's like, whatever, take me down. Yeah, I'll give him that. He's a go-getter now. He'll throw. But, like, he doesn't have an ounce of power. He stung Ricky Simon, didn't drop him. He seriously stung Ricky Simon with the right hand. Mm-hmm. And then Faber comes off retirement. He's an age statesman. And he drops him and and he gets the first knockout win. So it looks like he's only been knocked out the one time. He took some good shots against Rob Font. Can't take that away from him. Did take some good shots against Rob Font. However, yeah, he's a tad bit chinny. And so I agree with you. Taking him as a minus 170, which is what I'm looking at right now, I think you mentioned 160 on your side.
3: I mean,
2: Uh, taking him as a favorite
1: like that.
3: I mean, yeah, you can get prices yeah, I mean, you can get,
1: just of really here's here's the thing
3: guys. Money. always price up like you should have multiple I was telling somebody the other day about this just so like you should have uh, I guess you don't actually do it you usually just use one book, i guess, but um i try to i try i have like six i think I have like ten accounts, but like I have like five or so that have money in it at any given time um it's important to. You know, get the best little edge that you can get in any single fight. But sorry, I cut you off. where were you where were you going there?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's no problem. It's that, yeah, if you're playing one book, you're just you're taking the line that it is. When mm-hmm. we talk about it on the show, obviously if we say one seventy and it's one sixty, like it's close enough. Like it's not super crazy. But yeah, yeah. Just uh, yeah. for the sake of it, what I'm saying is taking him at minus one hundred seventy against a lot of guys is now gonna become a problem because <clears throat> I do feel even though he's talented, guy can wrestle. Uh, guys got great cardio guys got guys got variables to him that I do enjoy is that when you're getting clips and you're getting hurt by non power punchers, the higher you go up the ladder, the more you're running into trouble. And that's a problem.
2: However,
1: Ray Borg has not knocked out a man in seven years. Ray Borg is not a power puncher. And I know I just said this guy's getting rocked by non power punchers. But I don't see that. And that's where I do think Ricky Simon is an appropriate favorite is that Ray Borg is seemingly relying on his wrestling and his jiu-jitsu 100% of the time. He just tries to get the takedown. He just tries to grind on you. There doesn't appear to be a plan B there. Mm -hmm. The problem is is that most of the guys he's fighting, they can't do anything about it. He doesn't have to resort to a plan Yeah, Ricky Simon, yeah, he wasn't a collegiate wrestler. Apparently, he was a really good high school wrestler And then instead of wrestling collegiately, you know, it fanned out for him. He just kind of went right to MMA. Mm -hmm. But the guy's from the Midwest. He knows how to wrestle. He's from a wrestle-heavy camp. I feel like that's going to neutralize Borg. On top of that, yeah, you look at that fight against Vili, He's getting tossed around, and he gets right back up every single time. That's what Dvashvili... There's a couple takedowns on him.
3: Sorry. Yeah, there's our our delay issue again. It's really tough to... uh... But, yeah, yeah, Feely really takes down everybody at, like, 10-plus times. So, like, that's just – he's basically – I was thinking about it actually last night. He's basically like bantamweight Colby Covington.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what? That's a good example. Like, uh, he just – he keeps on you, and he just keeps grinding and grinding and grinding. Takedowns are just heavy. If he doesn't get the first one, he'll get the second one. But his top control is not necessarily great. But he just keeps on you. And Ricky Simon, I thought, gave a great account of himself. Technically gets the win in that fight, even though we all know it's up. It was still a good enough outing from him to show, okay, as far as his wrestling goes, he'll be okay. You look at the Ronnie Yaya fight. Well, Ronnie Yaya is great at jiu-jitsu. And, I mean, Simon takes him down four times. He plays around a little bit with him, but he stays out of harm's way. So we're talking about maybe he's not a great striker, maybe he's a little chinny. As far as the wrestling goes, it's fine. And so looking at Borg, especially by the numbers, Borg is 100% takedown, takedown, takedown. Mm-hmm. There's little for him to fall back on. And I know I just got into numbers, you know, a second ago, so I don't want to bore everybody with numbers. But, but looking at Ray Borg, it's astonishing, right? His last fight, he scored 10 takedowns. Yeah. Had 35 significant strikes landed mm-hmm. with, with, with 10 takedowns. That's strange. The fight before that, Paul, it goes 15 minutes. He lands 15 strikes, six takedowns. 15 strikes landed the fight before that casey kinney seven takedowns 17 strikes against demetrius johnson who's the greatest 13 strikes that's just the point those are just his last four opponents what i'm saying is his last four opponents he, he, he's just he tries to take you down he gets you down but he does not ground and pound you and he does not punch you standing up he just tries to close the distance and grapple with you and ricky simon ricky simon's not a great striker but ricky simon throws twice that in terms of volume so if Borg's wrestling is neutralized just by the fact that you know, let's say Simon's a little bit bigger, he's five foot six against Borg's five foot four. Six he's inches. a natural bantamweight versus Borg, who you know, and, and he's got a he's got a seven inch or a six inch reach mm-hmm, advantage. Exactly. So if it stays standing, it should be Simon. But Ricky Simon versus Ray Borg, a kickboxing match minus one seventy. Ricky Simon, no chance. Yeah. Ex- so either dog or pass or just pass.
3: Yeah. I yeah. We're, we're on the exact, like, that's exactly my exact thoughts. That's kind of where I, I landed on it. I wanted to bet Borg. The, the gut, the knee-jerk gut reaction was bet Borg, but I'm a little hesitant. I think it's going to be, unless Ricky Simon gets knocked out somehow, um, I think it's going to be a great opportunity to bet, like a live bet opportunity, to be perfectly honest. Um this goes three rounds. You're gonna get windows to to get some action in there. So I'll definitely be earmarking this one as a live betting opportunity. We'll have a better sense of whether Simon can stop the takedowns, whether Borg can take him down and hold him down. Um in the first, you know, three or four minutes, we should probably have a pretty good idea about that. So that's what I'll be looking for on that fight. We move on down. We got Marvin Vittori taking on Carl Roberson. Marvin Vittori minus 165, Carl Roberson plus 145. What's your what's your take here, Cody?
1: I got to go with Marvin Vittori. I mean, like, I, I've always been half impressed with him. I think that he's not a prospect that should be rushed along. If they, if they gave him big fights, massive fights, I totally get he actually lost his split decision against Adesanya, so that is a massive fight. But they haven't really rushed him along. They've let him develop. They've let him fight fellow up and comers. Adesanya was also an uppercomer. And I feel like that's allowed his growth a little bit where he's starting to put it together. I mean, he's still only 26 years old. So training at an elite level, being a good athlete like he is, and the greasy theory there is mm, his strength and conditioning program is on point.
3: Very much so. There's
1: a lot to like about this kid, takes especially it very when you kind to put money on him, man. Yeah. Very much, very much. So again, what I go back to shows a little bit in every fight is that he's very well-rounded. I mean, you want to talk about his striking. He's, he's seemingly pressuring guys, moving. He, he likes to be on the front foot. I mean, he throws decent volume, decent power. He's out striking mid-level guys. Carl Roberson, as far as on paper goes, all day is a better striker. But that's only because Carl Roberson you know, has got some pro kickboxing experience. Mind you, he's 0-3 in pro kickboxing, but he had fought in good guys. Uh, Not good guys, I should say. Jerome LeBanner is one of my favorite kickboxers of all time. That's a good fight. But he lost to Justin Jacoby and Mike Lemaire in straight-up kickboxing matches. I couldn't look you in the eyes and tell you that Dustin Jacoby or Mike Lemaire are better kickboxers than Marvin Vittori. So, So saying that Carl Roberson is a better kickboxer, Again, you just you got to take it with a slight grain of salt. Mm-hmm. So him jumping into the UFC, it's a lot of, he's not ready for the UFC as well, but he beats Ryan Spann, 15 seconds contender series, gets the contract, he's 4-0, still very green, beats Darren Stewart, good little win for him, and that's where we see the holes in his game. Cesar Ferreira took him down like nothing, submitted him. Mm-hmm. Jack Marshman, pure banger, don't got to worry about that. Glover takes Sarah, takes him down, submits him. Mm-hmm. Wellington Terman. Takes him down four times, okay? Yeah. If Terman wasn't a fool who kept giving up position, I, I don't know how he kept getting reversed. It was a bad top game. Terman should have probably won that fight, but it's a split. And then his last fight is Kopilov. Kopilov's a boxer and just gave a very poor account of himself. UFC debut, didn't let his hands go, no good. So honestly, as far as I'm concerned, Marvin Vittori straight up kickboxing Carl Roberson will be competitive. I think that he moves forward on Roberson. Uh, Roberson's going to have some opportunities, but Vittori has a great chin. is going to work him a little bit. I like that straight-up kickboxing. It's that variable of I think that he's got way better wrestling. He'll be able to take him down. when he does take him down, Roberson just gives up submissions. Mm-hmm. Even if Roberson doesn't give up the submission in this fight, he'll just give up positions, he gives up positions. Vitori's not going to get swept over and over. The kid's just going to keep on going. He's not going to have cardio issues. He's going to push that pace through he there's there's a lot to like outside of the omari akhmadov fight where he takes the first two rounds off before getting going and say the carlos jr fight where it's just he, he took a couple rounds off and didn't get going that's what made me not like this kid that's why i didn't want them to rush him along let him develop But as far as him being Cesar Ferreira and then beating Andrew Sanchez, you see that willingness. You see Mm -hmm. the frustration of the Sanchez fight where it's like he wants to engage. He wants to fight. He wants to get after it. He needs a willing dance partner. Roberson is not going to run away from him. He's going to give him that dance partner. And unfortunately, I feel that Vittori's got better skills in in, in the areas that are going to matter For him to at least score a decision. If not, I do maybe think maybe he can get uh, a submission victory. Minus 170, not a terrible price tag. Especially when I compare that to the fact that Ricky Simon is 170 favorite. As far as them both being the same price tag on this quick little book I'm looking at right now. um, Yeah, I would say Vittorio would be the better pick. And he's going to be my pick in this fight.
3: Yeah, I I hear that. I think he's, yeah, the more well-rounded mixed martial artist. I love the camp that he trains out of. I've actually always kind of liked the kid. And I think... I think the chin checks out as well, so um, I think you can stand in there, banging you can go, go go three rounds with just about any, anyone. You obviously went three rounds with the current champ, so that ain't nothing to sneeze at either. All right, we uh, move to the heavyweight division. We have Felipe Linz taking on Andre Arlovsky. Linz, minus 155. Arlovsky, 135. The question with every single Andre Arlovsky fight is... Can this guy, like does this guy have the death touch, or does he have clean enough, powerful enough striking to turn out the lights? Because if he does, Andre loses those fights. If Andre has better striking than you and you don't really have power, Andre's been pulling the cat out of the bag for years. This is just what he does. Everyone's thought this guy's career's been over for like five, 10 years. Um, is Linz the guy to put uh, Arlovsky asleep here, though, code?
2: Yeah, I
1: mean, with under Olovsky, yeah, that's the talk every time. Can he take the punch or can he not take the punch? He's a mobile heavyweight. He, he, he's he's fallen into the gatekeeper role. And I just don't know. It's hard to get a read on him. Listen, he's one in what? One in five in his last six fights in the win over Penaranto. Mm-hmm. I know I just back as well. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of close fights in that mix, Paul. The Augustus Sakai fight was close. It was a split decision. The yeah. Walt Harris fight. Whatever you know, it's split decision. The Shamil Abdurakhimov, not a terrible blowout. The Tai Vasa fight, not a terrible blowout. Like, but it's that he can lose to an up and comer like Tai Tuivasa. He can lose to an established veteran like Shamil Abdurakhimov. He can lose to a one dimensional striker like Yerozino Rosenstruck. There's no like rhyme or rhythm. He's not fighting terribly. Mm-hmm. He's a guy with 19 professional losses on his record. Losing ain't no tang. So, on one hand, uh, it, it, it's hard to back that guy. Now, they'll offer you a good price tag. They'll try to get you to say, geez, you know, under lucky. But 135,
2: the reason even you're that getting great, that is yeah.
1: Felipe lynn has been off. Like, yeah, yeah, he's been off two years. Prior to that, he was smoking guys in PFL. So, it's his UFC debut. it has been off for a while. And eh, what are you gonna get? You should get a better price, like I, I don't know. I, I just feel like one thirty-five on is not enough. Philippe Lins, he's got question marks, but he's got decent gas tank. He can strike. He doesn't deal particularly well with mobile heavyweights, right? So the the wins that he had in PFL, Kyle Allencar, very slow and lumbering. Jared Roschalt, good wrestler, very slow and lumbering as far as standup goes. Josh Copeland, again, wrestler very slow and lumbering. So th- there is an avenue to victory for Andre Orlovski. Andre is a live dog, but 135 isn't that live dog price I'm looking for. I would have to say this is a hard pass. Again, mm-hmm. Arlovsky's lost. He's d- done so much losing in his career and a lot of recent losing that like, if he loses this fight, nobody should be surprised. You shouldn't try to chase him. At this point, It's a little I'm a little over the Orlovsky train. And with Philippa Linz, there's just yeah. too many question marks. So 100% we're shooting the show on monday sunday was mother's day saturday was the last card i got a tape study mm-hmm. starting these last next couple fights yeah is where i've got to really dive in i feel super comfortable with the fights we just talked about but from right here it's like it's a question mark fight it's going to require extra time it's going to mm-hmm. require extra attention i'm going to tell you with a straight fat, flat pass right now I might come to the realization by tomorrow or some Wednesday, Felipe Linz isn't as bad a shape yep. or whatever. Let's find out some low-key info on him. Um, but for, yeah, for right now, I'm going to say pass. Just not enough dog money on Arlovsky and Felipe Linz. You know, long absence. Yep. Three-round fight, UFC debut. We'll have to see.
3: Yeah, no, I uh, I agree with you totally on that. It's obviously, a you know, there's the fight Saturday night. I was up real wired from from that card and then you know didn't get to bed until like 4 a.m so i was researching yesterday but there's a, a whole bunch of fights on this and obviously it was mother's day so did some spent some time virtually with with uh mama bear there um so yeah, actually this next fight here i haven't actually done any tape study yet i'll uh throw that out on the line completely um tiago moses versus Michael Johnson, do you have any hot takes here? Like, I haven't had a chance to really look into this one. A bunch of the other fights I do have takes as we move along here, but this is one of the fights that hasn't got my attention yet. Um, Do you have anything on it, or should people reach out to us on Twitter for maybe an update on it?
1: Yeah, well, again, you can always reach out for updates, especially that we'll, we'll have the show up by Monday, and then we'll have two days to look at things. But, right, Michael Johnson got extremely unlucky, man. He was supposed to fight Kama Worthy. And we talked about this fight, and Kama Worthy was getting the rub. He was going to fight. He, he was he was being set up um, against Azitar, right? And You knew it was just a set-up fight against Otman Azatar. Azitar. out. Michael Johnson gets the fight we liked him in that spot, and then boom, that fight gets canceled. You go from fighting, um, obviously, a lesser-known opponent who has one win in the UFC to now taking on a, a completely different style and Tiago Moises is going to look to grapple him. And that's the problem that I have with Michael Johnson. Is that you and I talk about this all the time, all of his fights. Hey, man, he's not a bad wrestler. Everybody always talks about the big power. We know the guy's got big power. I mean, just look at his list of victims throughout his career, knocking out uh, Dustin Poirier, absolutely putting on a wild clinic against Edson Barbosa. I mean, win over Tony Ferguson back in the day. It's like, this guy is is a good striker. He's a great striker. He's fought the best guys, even in his losses. Nate Diaz, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Justin Gaethje. He rocked Justin Gaethje. The guy... Is striking shouldn't be a problem. What's letting him down now is the fact that his grappling is just no good. And it keeps getting him into bad spots. And he's a guy that did wrestle junior college. Coming into the UFC, he was actually billed as a wrestler. When he's on The Ultimate Fighter, um, he was GSP's number one draft pick. It was Bill as a, he was billed as somebody who who's got, had a wrestling base, was an athlete, had some decent power. He evolved into a striker, but at least he's going to be able to keep his fight standing so that he can use that striking. And that's what's been letting him down in his last number of fights. I mean, Darren Elkins' fight. Darren Elkins is a wrestler when he got him down that was it Johnson had a decent first round but in the second round as soon as Elkins got on top of him and pressured him he gives up the submission Andre Feely he wins but man he got taken down multiple times I personally and I had a bet I personally thought he'd lost that fight I thought Andre Feely did enough to should have got the decision and it was largely based on Feely taking him down when he wanted Feely comes out of a wrestling camp and is a good wrestler but not a great wrestler he was able to get it done the Josh Evans fight, knocks him down. The Stevie Ray fight, I thought he won that fight. But you know what lost him then on the scorecards and in the moment? Fucking wrestling. You know, taking down Stevie Ray, styled on him in the third round. And then he lost a majority decision. So getting that fight against Common Worthy was awesome. Because Common Worthy is a banger. Common Worthy is going to stay in front of him. Common Worthy is going to throw hands. There was also a fight with Evan Dunham in the mix there. I was a wrestler. That's a bad fight. But maybe Dunham's over the hill. Who knows? The problem with Moises is Moises is he's a grappler, and he's not over the hill. You know, He's 25 years old. He's not, he's not seemingly on a great run in the UFC, but the guys he's fought, Benil Dariush, Kurt Holobaugh, Demir Ismagulov, all fucking grapplers. He's had three fights in the UFC, and he's taking on three black belt level guys. So he, he's getting a breath of fresh air and taking the Michael Johnson fight, in that Johnson's a better striker than him, but if he can get Johnson down, he should be able to have his way. But I'm in the same boat as you. I haven't been able to – I know he can wrestle. Four takedowns over Kurt Holloway. He didn't look mm-hmm. terrible in that fight. The Benil Daryush fight, he didn't do much. He mostly submission with the guillotine uh, submission. Like that was his mostly just threatening with that a lot. In the Isman Gulov fight, again, he's just not – I don't know. It's just very, very, very <clears throat> tough style clash. This should be better off for him. It's just I really got to delve into: is he going to get Johnson down for sure? Because if he doesn't, no doubt Johnson's a better striker. No doubt Johnson's on Johnson puts it on him. And on top of all that, this is Johnson at 155 pounds. I didn't like him at 45, Paul. I thought I thought going down took something off his zap. Like he just he wasn't he wasn't hitting that hard anymore, which is crazy for him considering the amount of power he's shown out through his career. So 55 is better for Johnson. I feel like if it's a stand up battle, yeah, all day. But I gotta just make sure that 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 it's gonna be a Moises takedown. And if it is, I would take Moises. The bookie's telling you 50-50, because as far as they're concerned, yeah, if Moises gets him down, Moises wins. And if Johnson keeps it up, Johnson wins. Mm-hmm. So before I can give you a hard lean on that, again, that's another one that I'm gonna have to look at again. Fair
3: enough. Uh we got uh, Sujara Eubanks, biggest favorite on the card, also owns a four-and-four four record that kind of shows you. The quality of competition that we're dealing with here. She takes on Sarah Morass, uh, Sajara Eubanks minus three eighty. Sarah Morass plus three fifteen. This this, yeah. this should be on Fight Pass. So I should. So I could make the joke. This one really puts the pass in Fight Pass. Um, the only thing I'm considering for this is Sajara Eubanks has a. Does not have the ability typically to go to go three rounds. She gets real gas in round three. Is there's the possibility that Sarah Sarah Morass pretty thick. She's uh, she's a well put together woman, I guess you could say. Um, and I think Sajar Eubanks used to fight at 125. She's kind of small for the weight class. Holding down Morass could maybe tire out Eubanks. You could get some absurd type of punt odds after like a round one thrashing or something for Mraz to come back. That's the only thing I would even consider is like some sort of long shot live opportunity in this fight. Otherwise, yeah, it's it's a straight up pass. What about you?
1: Yeah, well, Eubanks is obviously the favorite. Very clearly, 380 is not a very good price tag. <clears throat> but yeah, we do expect her to, to get the win. Sarah Morales just doesn't have a whole lot of passive victory. Like, if she's going to get the win over any opponent, she's going to have to fall over on top position, get you down somehow. Maybe i work you. Your cardio is not terrible. She's got some work to her. Um, But she's got to rely heavily on her ground game. Like, that's her tool. There's not a whole lot of striking there. There's not a whole lot of wrestling there. She ends up on top of a decent top game. That's right out the window against Senyari Ubanks. who's just a much better grappler to begin with. She's also much stronger than her. She has much better wrestling, and she's much better striking. I feel like this is one of those fights where Eubanks will have a good first round. She'll start to gas in the second round. <clears throat> in the third round, maybe she takes it off and loses the third round, wins a 29-28, or yep. she cruises on through. Mm-hmm. If we're looking for theories, then theoretically, Eubanks is risky because, yeah, when she's having full training camps, and it's a normal world... Yep and nothing has changed and everything is good and you can do whatever you want. Her strength and condition, like her, her her cardio just never really checks out. I mean, she gets tired when she gets tired, her hands drop. she's breathing heavy. She can't get the takedowns anymore. She uses a lot of muscle into all the techniques anyways. Like when she throws hands, she throws bombs when she's wrestling, you know, she's trying to muscle you to the ground. When she's on the ground, she's trying to, you know, establish control just by, 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 by overstrengthening you. Right. Now that you throw all that off the window, it's like, oh, geez, on top of that, this is someone who used to, like, shave their head to make weight. This is someone who didn't have great weight cuts Mm. on top of not having great cardio. So I get that, uh, you know what, the fight's 135 pounds. Like, she's struggled with 125. Coming up to 135, it should be easier for her. But, again, it's just, like, there's a lot of question marks always with that. So now that it's pandemic time, it's like, oh, man. Is she gonna make weight clean? Is she gonna come out here? Is she gonna have a great gas tank? Does she have a good camp? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Those are all question marks that you don't even want to think about when you're laying 380. Yeah. So when you look about it in yeah, when you look about it in mm-hmm. that regard, that's a hard pass. Mm-hmm. But the reason why I couldn't tell you dog or pass. It's because even though Sarah Moros maybe could play into that, hey, geez, she's a big dog, why not play the chance that maybe Eubanks doesn't have a good weight cut? She didn't have a good camp, and she is going to tire. It's like it's not going to matter. Other Eubanks opponents, they make her work, right? They make her work, and it tires, right? Whereas if Sarah Moros is on her back most of the time, she's not going to make her work. It's going to be a wrestling position for Eubanks. Yeah. Eubanks easily can take this girl down. Her wrestling's much better. When she does take her down, she doesn't really got to do much. She doesn't have to advance. The fans aren't going to be booing. No one's going to be calling for a stand-up. It's in an empty arena. She's just going to be able to just – it'll be a jiu-jitsu match. Yeah. And can she just beat Sarah Maross in a jiu-jitsu match for 15 minutes? Fucking no doubt about it. To put things into perspective, Sarah Maross, what, two years ago, or three fights ago, I guess. It's a better. better thing. But Toledo Bernardo. Toledo Bernardo is no good. She's got a 4-3 record at the time. She's simply just a BJJ black belt who's apparently strong. That's enough to just take this girl down and beat her. Macy Chason ended up getting exposed hard in the fights later. But what did Macy Chason got going for Wow, well, she's just actually really big and strong. Gets on top of Mraz, pounds her out, actually. And then in her last fight, you know, she's got the advantage of she's taking on a non-grappler. But it, with the Eubanks, I think Eubanks just ends up on top of her, has her way. It's the question marks surrounding the, you know, the camp and the weight cut. And Eubanks is 4-4. Four and four but she's a minus 380 favorite, yeah. terrible price tag. All of that leads to the decision of pass. But I get why Eubanks is the favorite. She's the better fighter.
3: Greasy theory, Cody. Want to hear it? Yeah, shoot. Sarah Morass must know where the bodies are buried. Because like, she was on a three-fight losing streak, and then they tear her up with Liana Jadua. Like to get you yeah, back on track and like you know now your career's kind of back in order like she must know something she knows something how the how do you get through yeah losing to Lucy Pudelova Toledo Bernardo Macy Chase on and then and then and then get a matchup like that like she should be very very thankful people get cut for a lot less in this sport but uh, I think we summed it up it's a, it's a big time stay away fight all around. Um we move on. Uh, this one's very, very interesting. I believe we got Omar Morales taking on Gabriel, Mogli Benitez, Ga- uh, Gabriel Benitez plus 155 underdog to Omar Morales uh, minus 175 favorite. Um, watching, watching Omar Morales on the contender series, I kind of thought he looked a little bit stiff and clunky, to be perfectly honest. I mean, these guys are all professional fighters. We'll talk about, uh, people throwing shade at Frankie murders, uh, technique on Twitter. Uh, look in the comment section for that. I got takes, but, uh, so yeah, like you have to put in perspective that like, I'm a, like, uh. a pudgy guy wearing a Habib time shirt and a freaking hat. Like, I'm a fanboy, right? But he looked kind of clunky when I looked at him on the, uh, the Contender Series. Wasn't impressed with his uh, real UFC debut all that much, though he got the win. I feel like this line is kind of representative of, like, the fact that people see, oh, he's 9-0. and He's got a zero next to his name. This guy must be amazing. I, Gabriel Benitez has been a cash train, I think, over the history of this program. He's always, he's pretty, usually he's pretty big underdog. I took some last night at plus 162. Guy kicks like a mule. Those light kicks from him are are really, really insane. Um, I like, I like where he trains at. Obviously with everything in quarantine time, it's going to be interesting. Like Omar Morales is going to look a lot more impressive on the scales. Like don't, don't be fooled by that. I just think, yeah, Mowgli's been around for a long time. I like the technique. I like the camp. And at plus 162, I had to take a little, a little slice last night. What do you think about that?
1: You know what? I totally think it's, it's worth a shot, for sure. I totally think it's worth a shot, for sure. Omar Morales has got this pers- well perception, I guess, for a lot of people. He comes into the UFC, or he comes into contender series, and he's undefeated, right? And so it's like, oh, okay, nice little record. We'll see what he got. Takes on Harvey Park, twelve and two. Okay, little well, fun little fight. And he could be had at the time. He was a plus two twenty underdog. Okay, he smokes out Ruby, Harvey Park. Comes to the UFC, gets a big win. Okay, so let's let's just break it down. Why I, I'm not overly impressed with this guy, right? You look at his undefeated record, and for the large large part, he fought absolutely nobody. Mm-hmm. He fought a couple guys in Venezuela that may or may not even include this, right? Beyond that, you know, one and one and one, zero and two. That's about it. Fights for Bellator. He gets a first-round KO over a 3-0 opponent, 58 seconds in. Why wouldn't Bellator put pen to paper with this guy? Like, why, why, why is it a guy undefeated record? He fights out of the Black Zillions camp. You know, what's known as the Black mm-hmm. Zillions camp? gets hard knocks, 365. But yeah. he, he's out of a credible camp. He's got, his training partners are all in the UFC or in Bellator or in high-level organizations. He comes out. He gets a sweet 58-second victory with a, with a head kick, they don't sign him, strange enough. Then he gets Harvey Park, right? Harvey Park, not known to anybody. Regional scenes fighter, and yet he's a 220 underdog mm-hmm. to Harvey Park. You know why? Because people looked at tape and thought, geez, this guy looks clunky, eh? Yeah. But he gets a nice win. Boy, oh boy, nice win over Harvey Park. Now he's in the UFC. He gets on Dung Hyun Ma. I mean, they give him a tailor-made opponent mm-hmm. because you can get away with being clunky power puncher against Dung Hyun Ma. Doesn't knock him out, though interesting to note because Dong Yan Ma's chin not so great anymore used but to be until goes, yeah, goes, Marco
3: Polo Reyes you know. absolutely ruined him
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah that is true it was legendary until then mm-hmm. Um, but again, Omar Morales goes through the motions. He gets the win. He doesn't look like he's a 240 favorite, which is what he was against Duncan. Mon. doesn't look great, but en- enough to get the victory here. And now he's taking on Gabriel Benitez. So again, you look back at all the tape and you think, geez, this guy is a little stiff and a little bit rigid. But I think a lot of people, the perception is, geez, undefeated guy, signed with, uh, with the UFC on the Contender Series fight. That's awesome. I watch Contender Series, so I like them. Him debut in the UFC, he got the win. Okay, I like him, undefeated record, taking on a guy that's lost seven times in his career. Like, why not go with this guy? He's, he's 34 years old, and that's going to be the key here in my decision-making process here, Paul. But like you said, when you look at him, he does look a little clunky. Mm-hmm. And if it was, I'll be 100% honest with you, and this is also armchair quarterback Cody Savage here. Alexander Hernandez, the striking, looks fucking clunky as well. That's another part of the reason why I'm going to go against him. Like You look at the fight with Cerrone, you look at the fight against Ronaldo, he, he's a good athlete, not mm-hmm. a great striker. Yeah. The difference is he's 26 years old. Give him four years, that athleticism will eventually translate over. He could be a good striker. He's putting all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. I don't think 34-year-old Omar Morales is putting the pieces together. And he's not the same type of athlete regardless. So being that, I don't know that he's making massive improvements. I I don't know. Flip side to that, Mowgli Benitez has already been fighting in the UFC for, geez, his debut was in like 2014, six years in the UFC. He's a ton of guys.
3: Yeah, I thought it was 2013 when I was looking earlier. He doesn't fight very often, though. It's only a couple. He only blesses our bank accounts every, you know, uh, maybe once a year, sometimes twice a year.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's fought eight times in the UFC in like six years, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, he doesn't fight a ton. But the word on him out of AKA was always he's the hardest kicking guy in the gym. And that means something because the gym is literally called the American Kickboxing Academy, right? The guy the guy can bang. There's no doubt about that. They've tried to move him up against upper echelon opponents. He falters. When he takes on mid to low level guys, he shines. It's where you rank Omar Morales. Yo, so did Yusuf. There's no problem losing to him. He's fucking awesome, right? Enrique Barzola, that's a very weird style clash, you know, and just anyone going to favor him. But those mid-level guys, you know, Jason Knight's the fucking world bare-knuckle boxing top contender.
2: Hmm.
1: You stand with this guy. You're a mid-level guy. He can do some damage, yep. no doubt about it. It's whether you believe Omar Morales is an upper echelon fighter or if he's maybe just the beneficiary of a good little lucky run. Yeah. And I'm thinking that that 9-0 and no record doesn't look as good as I think it does. So nice. I, I'm also thinking poke on Gabriel Benitez. Uh, I'm not all in on it. Um, yeah, me neither. Because, again, it's at the bottom of the card. Like I, 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 These bottom last four or five fights, I'm giving you my play. I'm giving you my pick. I'm giving you my thoughts. But, again, those are the ones that when I hang up the phone call, I spend the rest of my night looking at those ones to make sure. But my preliminary thoughts are Benitez gets this done in a, in a striking battle. That goes for three.
3: Couldn't agree more. We got Hunter Azer taking on Brian Kelleher. Azer, minus 175. Kelleher plus 155. Kind of like what I saw from Azer, MMA lab guy. We always love betting those guys. Just a really, really gritty, gritty gym. Uh tough, hard nosed, lots of good training partners. I don't know what's going on there. That's maybe something I'm gonna have to look into. Um Azer seems to have an amazing gas tank. His gas tank does seem to hold up. Um, but Kelleher can be sneaky with the submissions. I think the line is priced appropriately, appropriately here. Um, I, I, I am leaning towards Azer right now. Um, that could change. I'm not, yeah, I'm not sold. There's no bets being made on this fight quite yet, but Azer is the pick. I did like what I saw from on contender series. What about you?
1: Azer, there's a lot to like with Azer in that he's got my two favorite things, right? Wrestling and cardio. And you can win a lot of fights with wrestling and cardio. And you can win a lot of lower-level fights. With wrestling and cardio, and I'm not I'm not going out there saying Brian Keller is a low level opponent. Again, 35 veteran, guy that's you know fought some high level guys in the UFC, guy that you know had some tricks up his sleeve. He surprised a lot of people his last time out beating Odie Osborne. Even though it wasn't a shocking, they shouldn't have really shocked that many people. All the same, you can't count this guy out as an underdog in any spot. Does have a sneaky little submission game. Does have decent wrestling of his own. But I think Hunter Azer is just that young kid that's just going to apply that pressure on on Kelleher, take him down, stay out of submissions. Work him work, em, work em. Um work him. I don't know if it's a blessing in disguise or just a testament of like how good people are up are high up on Azer. But he was initially supposed to take on before this Corona uh, canceled two forty the first time around. He was supposed to take on Umar Nurmagomedov. Yeah, nobody wants that fight, and I and I'm telling you straight up, nobody wants that fight. But yet, under Azer, who's undefeated, doesn't have to. I mean, he's one fight into his uc career. He's still young, twenty eight. He doesn't need to take this fight, but they're willing to take this fight. In fact, they want to take this fight. And now he's ending up with Brian Kelleher. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the people around him are, are heavy on him, like, like the the same thing I see. Jesus, guys, like guy, he's not tiring. He's got good top control. He'll just keep plowing you. I, I like Brad Katona. I think Brad Katona has a lot to offer. The one issue with Brad Katona is that he can't deal with power wrestling, top heavy pressure, stronger opponents. And the UFC, for whatever reason, give him Marab DeBosch Hunter Azer, and then cut him. Massive slap in the face. It is what it is. But let's not forget, forget that Brad Katona is the guy that took out Bryce Mitchell out of The Ultimate Fighter. The guy's a fucking badass. Hunter Azer showed me in there. He's not just, you know, he isn't a young up and comer, but there's the, he, he, he's improving. He's mm-hmm. got the intangibles that I like. He's someone that could go out there and make some money. Brian Kelleher. We were talking about retirement for Brian Kelleher prior to him submitting Odie Osborne. Okay. We go from retirement, Brian Kelleher, even he's talking about it. He's lost to Lineker, which is a great fight. He lost to Montel Jackson. He's down on himself. The Odie Osborne fight, he comes in against a virtual unknown who's a, he's a minus 140 to this future virtual unknown. Mm -hmm. And this virtual unknown also tends to spend time, at Duke Rufus's Academy, which is a surefire success to get you a loss, and yet Brian Kelleher wins and he's back. Like I'm not sure he's back. I think this is you know the 33 year old, great podcaster, really entertaining guy, good dude. Brian Kelleher got other things to do with his life versus his 28 year old kid. He's undefeated. He just got into the UFC one fight ago. You know, like it, 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 it's 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 not passing of the torch because they're not great contenders yet. Um. But, yeah, it's 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 the old versus the young. And I, and I think that is going to put the pressure on him to get the win. 175, not a bad price tag. Couldn't tell you if it's a decision or not. I feel like it's a decision mm-hmm. because, you know, the problem with being cardio wrestlers and just grinding on guys is it doesn't lead to a ton of submissions or TKOs. But with Kelleher, it's like, I don't know. He's been submitted by guys I did not think was going to happen. Yep. He's been TKO'd in the past. He's He's had... He's had he's had wonky finishes to fights I should say. So I can't give you a whether I think that's going to be a decision or inside the distance, but I think that Azier gets the job done.
3: Yeah, I agree there. Um and finally we've got Chase the Vanilla gr- Gorilla Sherman returning to the UFC after a little stint in like bare knuckle boxing and he's on like fighting for mm-hmm. island fights. I mean Ch- anybody who's new, we used to be we, we used to Chase was a regular in terms of, like, us fading in the heavyweight division. Well, he's taking on Ike Villanueva, who comes in, UFC debut here. Chase Sherman's a, a favorite. Minus 155. Ike Villana- Villanueva, plus 135. Like, we, we made money just fading Chase Sherman every single fight on his regular, uh, or previous kind of string of fights with the with the organization, but he's taking on a career middleweight here who, watching tape on him, I didn't see all that much. He did get a first-round finish against Rashad Coulter at 205 pounds. So Coulter used to fight at heavyweight. He Him and Sherman actually already had, like, a fight of the night, fight of the year, if you're into, like, that type of dirty, dirty type of stuff. Like a real, like, sloppy heavyweight banger. Um, he already had that uh, with Sherman, so I like to think that Sherman already had broken Coulter-, Coulter for Villanueva all those years, all those years ago. I like Sherman. I bet him at minus one thirty-eight last night. It's moving up to minus one fifty. I'm just plugging my nose and doing it, Cody. Um, I just think Chase has a massive size advantage. The reach advantage is quite significant as well. Just looking that up here yeah he's got like a five and a half inch reach advantage I think the leg kicks for chase are going to be the real the real thing here um he's just so much bigger. I think this is a heavyweight fight where i think the the size is going to matter uh give me I can't believe I'm saying this Cody give me chase sherman. I already bet. <laughs>
1: Uh, you know what, Chase Sherman at the at the value you got one thirty eight. You know what, just like you said, plug your nose, jump in. It's gonna be a fun fight. You're gonna want some action, and Chase Sherman's the move. The more it's moving towards Chase Sherman now. Don't be taking this if it gets to like Sherman one seventy one eighty five. Strictly because. Yeah, Chase Sherman's going to give you exactly what you want. He'll stand there and he'll slug. And if you are a good fighter or you are a bad fighter, you are going to have a chance at beating Chase Sherman. Because, yeah, he just he, he gives you so many opportunities. I mean, his bare-knuckle boxing career isn't indicative of that as well. But even when he was in the UFC, the fact that he was in razor-close fights with Rashad Coulter, the fact that he was losing to you know, Justin Willis, the fact that he's getting beat up by these guys – I don't know, man. It's not a great look for him. Now he gets cut. He gets on a little run, beat a couple decent guys, turns to bare knuckle, won his first couple fights in bare knuckle. I think he got a draw against my boy Shoe actually. And then he loses to Joey Beltran. How is he even back in the UFC? This is why Chase Sherman and Ike Villanueva are probably the happiest people about this whole coronavirus thing. There's no other world Mm -hmm. that really exists where they both get signed to the UFC for a makeshift heavyweight fight on the undercard of some Wednesday (laughs) makeshift Jacksonville Fight Night 2 card. Mm What the fuck is going on here, right? But they needed guys, and they put out a message to managers, hey, has anybody got anybody? And as a result, we're taking back Chase Sherman, and we're taking Ike Villanueva, who's 36 years old. Ike Villanueva was never going to fight in the UFC. No. And by the way, I'm very, very, very familiar with Ike Villanueva. I've followed this guy for a long time. Texas regional banger middleweight. But, I mean, he lost to my boy Marcus Sursa, journeyman. Cody Donovan, journeyman. Arcanus Young, journeyman. Larry Taekwondo Crow kicked him upside the head in that legacy fight and KO'd him. Now, he got submitted by Robert Drysdale, Paul. And there's no shame in that. But then he got submitted by Justin Liddette. And there's a lot of shame in that. His wins over just very low-level all-Texas guys. Like, his entire career is in Texas. He's fought. I'm going to go and say he may have never fought outside of Texas. But we need guys. Now's the time to shine. So, in comes Ike Villanueva. A middleweight that had been campaigning as a 205er beat Roger Nervaez, UFC uh, veteran, but was a middleweight, and a jiu-jitsu guy, jiu-jitsu black belt, not known for striking, caught him very early. Rashad Coulter, UFC veteran, and he also knocked him out. So again, if you're looking at it just as far as paper goes – Ah, he's knocked out his last two opponents. They're both UFC veterans. And by the way, Roger Narez and Rashad Coulter are the same level of a Chase Sherman. Well, that's where you're wrong. Maybe like talent, skill, upside, potential, maybe they're in the same category, but they're not fucking heavyweight. Exactly. That's where Chase Sherman is a heavyweight. He's six foot four. He weighs two hundred and fifty pounds. An eighty inch read. Seventy eight inch read. Yeah, uh, like he's a massive like, Yeah, seventy
3: eight. Sorry, yeah, you're right.
1: He's a massive, massive dude. And and I think that'll be the problem. Is that, like, Ike's willing to throw down. Ike likes to throw down. Chase likes to throw down. They both stand there and they both throw down. And I'm telling you, we got a middleweight against a heavyweight. Like, it's a, it, it's a no-brainer at 138, right? You have to start thinking about it the more money that's coming in on Sherman. Is at what point are you willing to, hey, dude, they are just going to bang. And Sherman has gotten beat up by guys in the past that were really not all that skilled, but we're just willing to bang you know Ike's going to be faster than him yep. right cuz he is the middleweight he's going to be faster than him it's just I don't think that Ike's going to like those shots coming back at him from Sherman Sherman's got a decent gas tank as yep. well so I think uh, at the value you got it jump on it if not either hit a pass regardless it should be a fun fight to watch
3: yeah where I see it right now it's 150 to 160 across the industry right now um I think that'll yeah I think that'll get up to probably 200 by fight time but I would absolutely not Two hundred would be a pass. I think you were kind of right. Around the minus minus one seventy range is where I would be in on that. Um, yeah. Let's. What do you want to do next? Here we're at the end. We can either do. Uh, we can save the recap for the end. We can talk about DraftKings or or uh, quick picks here. What do you think?
1: Well, let's jump into DraftKings. We'll talk DraftKings and then because we're gonna have to make arguments for our couple guys that we Ooh. might not be picking based on value. Um, so yeah, we'll go through DK, then we'll do some quick picks and we can recap if you want.
3: Sounds good. How do you want to do this DK? It's tough with our uh, delay right now. Um, we can't really bounce back and forth. Um, whenever I speak, there's about a, it feels like two second delay as we kind of talked about earlier. So jumping back and forth, it's difficult for us on the line here. Um, how do you want to go about this Cody?
1: Okay, so you tee it up and then you give your quick thought on it, and then I'll just either be like, "Yeah, fuck, Paul, I agree," or I'll throw a little something on there, and then just move down. That way, you get the first win. I'm not interrupting you, and then I'll jump in behind you, so like I don't have to cut you off or whatever. But we'll, we'll, we'll go with that. And I've got, I've got the like the list of that you sent me, obviously. So I'm looking at the DC yeah. pricing right now. So next there's to a them.
3: few prices that are off on that. Or, sorry, that just weren't on the page, but I'll be reading them out to you. So let's go yeah. through the card naturally. From So, Anthony Smith, 9,000 versus uh, Anthony Smith versus Glover Teixeira, uh, 9,000 and 7,200, respectively. I mean, right off the top of the show, we told you we like um, Glover Teixeira. One thing about Glover Teixeira here. He's the kind of guy who goes, he's going to be probably at least testing out the waters of trying to go for a takedown, try to do a little bit of grappling, try to get to his patented head and arm choke. So it's, I like Glover Teixeira here. I obviously see Anthony Smith as a viable play. If you like Anthony Smith, it's a five round fight. He doesn't really have the most um, output and I don't think we're going to be landing takedowns from him. But obviously, if he gets a knockout versus Glover Teixeira, he's live to be in a a top end lineup. Um, Glover Teixeira like him a lot on DraftKings. He will be all over the place. I think I went a little bit long on that, Cody. I, I got a little bit. I got a little bit too fired up. Do you have anything to add to that?
1: No, I agree. Seventy two hundred bucks is a is a gift. If you look at Glover Takes there traditionally how he scores on DraftKings, it's good. He got like an eighty-one point average his last three fights, I get he's all won them. But um, what I like there is because he's only seventy two hundred dollars, if you get if he goes out against Krylov, he only had one takedown, forty-three strikes, a couple reversals on advances on the ground, bam, seventy-nine points. If you're paying, you know, high end money for a guy, seventy nine points just might not cut it on that big GPP. But, dude, 7200 bucks. I mean, yeah, they're, they're really asking you on DK, hey, take a whiff of this guy. And it just so happens, like we talked about, we like this guy. So mm-hmm. I think takes Texera, the flip side with the Anthony Smith, even if he gets that third or fourth round finish, because he's a low-output guy, and I don't think he's going to be scoring any takedowns or getting ground transi- transi- sorry, transitions himself, if he gets a third or fourth or fifth round finish for whatever reason, he still might not score yeah. all that much. So he's a hard pass I like
3: Lover. We got uh, OSP versus Ben Rothwell. OSP 8,700, Ben Rothwell 7,500. Um, no OSP for me. I just think... I, I don't think he's going to knock out Ben Rothwell. And the volume is never really enough. He's not going to knock him out or submit him, I wouldn't imagine. I don't think he's going to be able to do much grappling against a guy the size of Ben Rothwell. And the punch output isn't enough. Uh, ben Roth, It's Ben Rothwell or bust. I may just kind of... If I'm doing a single lineup, I may just stay away from this fight. Because I see the potential for it to be... A little bit slower and like a decision win here. Um, what, what's your take
1: here? If I'm playing a cash game lineup, I'd like Ben Rosswell actually a decent amount. Because okay. even if he loses, he's, I don't see him getting finished by OSP. It's going to go three rounds. We've seen him go three rounds and seemingly not do anything against Ivanov and Arlovsky. Mm-hmm. And he scored 35 points both times. So, yes, if he loses on a GPP, I have him. I'm, I'm screwed. If he loses on a cash game, at least he's not getting KO'd in the first draft. He's not yep. getting some in the first draft. At least I would still get 35 points. And I'm only spending $7,500. So, in that regard, there's a little bit of upside there. It's that I'm buying a little bit into this. Is I'm going to say it's a greasy theory because it's just like a straight-up theory. But I keep envisioning. I keep envisioning Ben Rothwell is going to submit him and it's currently sitting at plus 1100 or plus uh yeah, 1100. It, mm-hmm. It's 11 to one Ben Rothwell by submission. Just stick with me on this one. We'll rifle through the other DK picks quick, but I didn't really get a chance to say it when we broke down the fight earlier, but do you remember before this whole drug testing thing when he got the submission over Matt Mitrion and Josh Barnett, both yep. of them, the six-finger guillotine? Yep. It was like, holy shit, dude. He submitted Josh Barnett with that modified guillotine. It's actually a modified front choke. He's really strong. And then since then, he hasn't, it's the level of guys he's fighting, it, the situations never occurred. When I watch OSP fight, what happens when he starts to get tired is he presses you up against the cage and he sticks his head right into you. That leads Krylov. Yep to eventually rear naked choke him that led to ilia latifi standing guillotine choking him that led to glover texera back in the day submitting him right Yep. he's got an issue with putting his head right into danger and against guys like let's face it krylov's a banger he's known as a striker right i mean fair to say that ilia latifi is known as a wrestler boxer fair to say that they both scored submission victories over him Clover Teixeira is the one guy with a bit of a ground game. And yeah. of course, you know, he submitted him. I think Rothwell's submission game gives the suspension. Nobody really remembers that he does have a bit of a submission game to go to. And I see a, a scenario where OSP sticks his neck right into it. So as jumping it back to DraftKings, Kings, um, I think that, He's got upside that he could score a finish. If he doesn't score a finish, he's still going to get you points. In a victory, he could get you 70, 75 points. That's relative to what you paid for him. In a loss, again, still maybe 35. He's a cash gameplay. I don't know that I love him on GPPs.
3: We got Drew Dober versus Alexander Hernandez. Dober, 8,300. Alexander Hernandez, 7,900 I mean, Alexander Hernandez proved that he could take a lot of damage. Drew Dober, I mean, the chin on, or just like, look at the—he's got that Jay Leno chin, right? Like, for those watching the video, is why you watch the video. Like, look at that chin. Yeah, you're, you're not gonna knock that shit out. Like, good, good luck. Like, that, that it's like Fort Knox. Like, good, good luck. So, um, I don't know. Historically, these guys, unless they're getting the finishes, aren't the greatest scores – unless. It- If you really think like Alexander Hernandez has a big like wrestling advantage is going to be getting takedowns. I could see the argument for that. But I think this is a fight that everyone really likes from a betting perspective. I think it's a fight that I'm not. I don't feel like I have to have ownership to it. What about you?
1: Yeah, I actually agree with that. If you look at some of his fights where the finish didn't materialize, he either has to score just an overwhelming amount of strikes on you, or he does mix in some some takedowns at some point. Mm-hmm. If he's not going to take down Hernandez, it's just going to be a striking battle. Then, yeah, who's to say? However, he's just so priced so nice here, $8,300. If you're going for it and you want a guy that's at least going to uh, score 80 points right, in a victory, if you're backing backing him to win, even without the takedown, if it's just 15 minutes of pure striking, he gets the better of those striking exchanges, he gets the win. He should be scoring around 70, 75, maybe 80 points. So again, it's somewhat relative to the salary. But we're not just discrediting that he couldn't get a finish over Alexander Hernandez, because he absolutely can. I'm not saying he hits harder than Donald Cerrone, because honestly, I don't believe that to be necessarily the case. But at least... Is Why doesn't he? Oh, my God. This guy's showing big power. Again, I mean, Polo Reyes, whatever. Guys can knock out Polo Reyes. That, that is what it is. Mm-hmm. But against Haiparaz, man, he lit him up. And prior to that, the Benil Darius fight, yes, yeah, on paper submitted, but he yep, was yep. putting it on a very credible guy, in Benil Darius. $8,300. Geez, the upside is he gets the finish. The downside is maybe he just gets into striking war, scores 60, 70 significant strikes. If he even gets one takedown with a ground transition, he'd be make it worth your wild. I think you could do worse than Drew Dober. Flipside that to Hernandez, he's probably pretty good too. But his path to victory doesn't involve knocking out Drew Dober. His path to victory doesn't involve submitting Drew Dober. As we talked about, what I believe is if he's gonna win, it's gonna be heavy, wrestle up against the cage, neutralize this guy, yep. slow him down, knees to the body from the clinch. That's a dirty way to win a fight. Yep, Whereas yep, Dober's yep, flip side yep. to winning his fight, way cleaner. So Dober would be the pick if you're going to take any of the two. Eighty-three hundred,
3: not a bad All right, let's rip through these pretty quick because uh, we obviously broke down every single fight already. Um, we've got Ricky Simon taking on Ray Borg. Uh, Ricky Simon, <laughs> eighty-six 8, hundred. Ray Borg, seventy-six hundred. It's Borg. Borger pass. If you think R- Borg is going to be able to take him down and hold him down, which I don't, I'm not convinced by it. Um, take it, Ricky Simon. I just don't think he's going to score very, very, very high here. Um he's probably gonna be utilizing the jab using that reach advantage that he has, not a fight that uh I see scoring very big unless Borg is able to utilize those takedowns and I'm just not I'm just not there thinking that he can control a much bigger man like this. anything, Dad?
1: No, I mean Borg's last three fights all of his points ten takedowns, six takedowns, seven takedowns mm-hmm. all of his points come through takedowns, so if we're saying that that's not gonna be a you know, a pass against Simon that that takes his points right off the table. Simon, on the flip side, not a huge scorer himself, and it's going to be limited successes against Ray Borg, Pass, pass.
3: Vittori versus Roberson, another pass here. Both stand-up guys. Maybe, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe you like Vittori. You really did kind of like Vittori. Do you like him on DraftKings? He hasn't been historically a great DraftKings scorer.
1: No. Historically, it's just he's a good, like I said earlier, he's a general fighter. He does everything well, but nothing exceptionally well. Good wrestler, good ground game, good striking, but not one of the elite strikers in the division, not one of the elite wrestlers in the division, not one of the elite grapplers in the division. So in that regard, yeah, I got to take it with a grain of salt. I don't mind him, Paul. Where I do take big problem here is that when you look at the, the straight money line, he's minus 175, which I think is, sorry, I think he's 165 which I think is yep. very fair. When you look at his drafting pricing, he's eighty nine hundred bucks.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
1: no, I mean, he averages 60 points uh, throughout his, you know, that's his traditional drafting scoring career is 60-point is average. And now i got to play nearly 9,000. He's one of the upper echelon guys. Yes, I do believe he can beat Robertson. Yes, I do believe maybe he could submit Robertson. Mm-hmm. But more than likely, it's 15 minutes. The tour doing more than Robertson, especially with that ground game, mixing it up. Marching him down, getting a decision victory, not hitting anywhere close to ninety points, which is what you're gonna want. Yep. Ninety hundred points is what you're gonna want. You're spending on a guy like this. Yep. Um, no, no. I like Vittoria for the money line, don't like Vittoria on draftkings. We got And d- and Roberson don't like him on DraftKings because Vittori's you know, pretty durable, right? Yep.
3: Uh Linz and Orlovsky Linz is eighty five hundred, Orlovsky seventy seven hundred. Not gonna be rostering much Orlovsky here myself um it's the question and i haven't done enough research on it i haven't watched enough tape yet to have a great feel about it but it's knockout we you're looking for the felipe lins knockout if anything in this from a DraftKings perspective or at least that's my opinion what about you
1: yeah under Olofsky, he's a total banger boston that if he wins you know maybe if he puts on a total clinic he could score yeah geez why not score 75 80 100 points but if he loses he gets knocked out very quick and he'll score you two points and absolutely ruin your lineup whatsoever so maybe he's being looked at in a punt in that regard i think that there's tremendous value on the potentially as we talked about earlier I, i gotta dive back into this one but Lindsay's eighty five hundred dollars in him again, if you look at his PFL run, he crushes these guys. He exactly. finds a way to them, he knocks them out. He's not a quick starter, I gotta knock you in thirty seconds. Is that he systematically finds the punch eventually, whether it's rounds three, he even had a fourth round TKO in PFL. The power translate, his cardio's not bad, been off a long time. But at 8500 dollars if he can go out there and crush our Arlovsky for you and get you a first round KO at that price tag and maybe he's not totally high ownership as well because it's his debut and the layoff and people just don't recognize the name. He could be an optimal lineup kind of guy in victory. Um, 85 is not expensive. It's not super cheap. It's kind of upper mid-range, but he's affordable, that's for sure, and he does have a lot of upside. I will give him that.
3: Yeah, Arlovsky... Honestly, if you go through his entire DraftKings history that's available here on DraftKings.com, it was that Rothwell fight where he really put on, like, because Rothwell just wasn't moving, right? That was where he really, that was by far the most significant strikes, 152 significant strikes. Otherwise, you look through all of his other, his other previous highest was Struve in 2018, with 84 we'll points, so you would have paid out there. Albini in 2017, he scored 76. you would be happy with that. Otherwise, we're looking at 38, 22. Now, these are all losses, I guess. So, yeah, you're right. When he wins, he can get up to, like, the 70 range or so. I don't know if that ends up on an optimal. But, yeah, you'd you it's nothing to sneeze at for sure. So, yeah, I could see the argument. But, yeah, Linz is the guy I'm paying attention to. Paying attention to as well. Haven't done any tape on Thiago Moises versus uh, Michael Johnson yet, as I said earlier. Um, so I don't really know what I'm going to do with this. I don't. I'm not overly excited to play it. That's all I can really say right now. What about you?
1: Yeah, again, going to have to jump into this one a little bit more. Moises seems to have that upside. Both these guys are going to be mid range plays, or like not mid range plays, eight thousand to eight two hundred. If you got a good read on one of the two guys, it's like, oh, geez, why not? I got Johnson. He's got big power. I mean, he's capable of knocking out most men. So it's a good price tag that maybe he scores some points. And if I'm a Moises backer, backer, it's like, oh, geez, I I got the submission game on him. I got the wrestling game on him. The one thing that really bugs me is that even though we talk about Moises, you know, black belt and good grappling and good Mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu and all all these, he's never actually submitted anybody. (laughs) So he has no submission victories in his career. And that's a little bit. Hard or sorry, sorry, I shouldn't say that. He's got submission victories in his career. He hasn't submitted anybody like in I'm gonna say since yeah, prior to the UFC. Anyways, it's when he's taking on some better guys, the submission's not materializing. So maybe he's able to get the takedown on Michael Johnson, Mm -hmm. but if he doesn't get the submission, then yeah, every round starts standing, and I don't know if he's gonna gas. Like I guess got to jump into that one a little bit more both guys got some upside considering that they're only 8,000 at 8,200 but uh I'm gonna have to say with Moises, he's the he would be my pick I can say right now maybe play him on some lineups if you're playing a bunch of lineups but yeah without having a full confident answer on it the only time being I can just say hold
3: fair enough we got Eubanks and uh and Moras Eubanks 9,200 Morass 7,000 I mean, I see the art like the the possibility for Eubanks to absolutely dominate and score big, but and I haven't I haven't to, uh, toyed around with like roster construction all that much this week. I don't know how like free I am. I do like a lot of underdogs, so maybe I could get her in, but like I don't it's a tough tough pill to swallow to pay this price for eubanks who you go through these fights here, and even when she wins, decision, 75 significant strikes, 84 points. Mata Ferry, um, 90 points with 57 significant strikes, three takedowns, uh, one knockdown that she got credited there, two advances. So it's like, and, and you know, she's been 94, 91. It's like she never really pays off this price tag. I think it's a pretty easy one to stay away. And you know I do not put money anywhere near Sarah Morass. so... Um, this is a stay away i 'm not i 'm not paying up for Sajara, i don 't think at least in like a single if you have multi entry of course you 're going have to you're gonna have to cover your tracks a little bit like that but in a single entry type of situation um I like somebody else up there what about you
1: yeah i don 't think that this- because it's a style versus a style class, Eubanks is the better grappler. She's the stronger fighter. I think that she's going to have her way and get the decision victory, or you know maybe some type of make something happen late. But regardless, the style class leads to not a high scoring fight, right? Mm-hmm. If we're assuming that one takedown gets it done, maras doesn't just scramble back to her feet, make you work, and then you got to get a second and a third and a fourth takedown. One takedown might be all you need. And because Eubanks has cardio problems in the past. We don't know how great the camps been. we don't know how great the weight cuts going. She's not gonna go look to over exert herself. She might just look to pull down position. Mm-hmm. That just leads to even if she wins, she's way too high and with morass, it's virtually impossible to score points off your back <laughs> and they just they don't little elbows little chip away shots they don't score those on 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 the scoring system let's let's face it uh submission attempts do you know good you don't get any points submission attempts. So being on your back is literally just the worst position you could be in. And Morales figures to probably be spending some time in that position in this fight. So I don't like the I don't like the flip side of the dog. And as well, I, with Eubanks, I just don't think she's going to score up to, obviously, her large price tag.
3: We got uh, Mor- Morales versus Benitez. I already said I liked Benitez. 7400 We don't need a crazy performance. Jason Knight, 84- 85 significant strikes, one advance like... He's not going to get very many takedowns or anything like that, but, like, if he gets a win here, we can definitely get up to 74, 75. When you got a finish against Humberto Bande I, obviously that was a first-round finish. You got up to 110. That was kind of his, you know, ceiling. First-round sub against Cecilia back in the day. I mean, the Clay Collard fight way back in 2015, he got 63 points. So it's not, you know, there's a potential, there's a lot of, there's potential for him to like win and still not be great, but I, I trust the guy. I, I'll have him in my lineups and and hope that we get over like that 75 point threshold. What about you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think Gabriel Benitez has got great value on him. Again, this goes back to the next two fights we'll jump into have kind of the same issue, is that, mm. to put things into perspective, like, Sanero Eubanks is a 380 favorite, he's yeah. 9,200 bucks. Morales is a minus 175. The next fight, Hunter Azur, is, or Azur, sorry, is also a 175. And these guys got big price tags, man. 8,800 yeah. bucks and 9,100 bucks. So may wins, be over I-
3: to be honest.
1: Yeah, like people look
3: at odds are going to be like, well, this is the safest play on the card. Maybe, but I don't think she has the highest ceiling.
1: Well, if I told you you're blindfolded and I tell you, Paul, you can have fighter A is minus 175. He's 9,100 bucks. Mm-hmm. And fighter the other one is, is a 380 favorite, 9,200 bucks. Even if you're like, oh, man, maybe it's a style thing. It'd be like, oh, well, I almost have a four to one favorite. Yep. At least I'll be getting through. So the pricing is a little bit going to the Morales thing. That, that that's what I see here is that he's a minus one seventy five favorite and he's eighty eight hundred bucks. So even if you did like him, you'd have to really be banking on that big power. And as much as we're all saying oh big power, like what what big power? I mean he didn't knock out Dung Hyun Ma, you know the the, the maestro, mm-hmm. and a lot of his knockouts were just over kind of questionable competition. Yep. So without some great knockout game, I don't know if he's worth eighty eight hundred dollars. Gabriel Benitez, I don't think he knocks out Morales either, but I think you know he just outstrikes him to a little bit more, relies on that kick, chop, 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 try to get him down, $7,400, I'm in. If there's a full arena there and they're in Florida, man, maybe Omar Morales has got friends and family that come over and support him, and, and every time he lands, people cheer, and every time the Californian guy lands, people boo, but there's no fucking crowd there. So take that out of it. I think it's a close fight that Benitez does a little bit more and thus should be rewarded for that and actually get a clean decision.
3: Uh Hunter Azer ninety one hundred, Brian Kelleher, seventy one hundred. I mean Hunter Azer on his contender series fight would have put up a whole bunch of points. So obviously against Brackatona in his debut. Uh, fifty nine points, no takedowns. That is a bit concerning. But I think out of all of these people up top, he's the guy I'm going to. What do you think?
1: Oh Yo, are you? Is that you're gonna you're gonna make him your guy this? Season?
3: I mean, I don't really like anybody up top. I don't really want to play a, you. Maybe I'll oh, fuck. Yeah, it's like honestly, like the, I'm looking at the top of the board: Eubanks, Azer, Anthony Smith, Marvin Vittori, and Omar Morales. Like, whew, I think Azer is my favorite of the five. Yeah. What you what, like? Do you uh, what? What do you think? I mean, it's my. I mean, a lot of people are probably going to oh, end probably. up with lo- with lineups that are pretty mid range, like mid range values.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not listening yeah, to me I, right I now. Yeah, I like <laughs> No, no, the phone, I don't know. I, I don't know if you're hearing anything on my end or not. The no. phone must have cut out because it went silent for like five seconds and then it just popped back in.
3: Yeah, I had that happen a couple times.
1: It's okay. Yeah, well, we're almost through it anyway. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know just because with Azar, he's got the one fight in the UFC with Brackatona. He didn't really commit to any takedown, Over no. for 1. And he is a guy that has good wrestling, and I'm banking on him to go to that good wrestling. Mm-hmm. But without a surefire guarantee that he's going to go to the wrestling, and what's to say he doesn't just keep it standing and outstrike Kelleher? Okay, well let's go to how did he do it against Katona? Well, he had forty one significant strikes. And he ended up on top, don't get me wrong, he just didn't take him down. Yeah. So I don't know, fifty nine points. Fifty nine points, not great. But no. he's only seventy three hundred dollars then.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now you look at him and you get a big old fat price tag on him, only ninety one hundred bucks. Yep. And Kelleher, Kelleher might have durability issues, but Azer's has he shown us that he's a he's a killer finisher? Does he got that killer instinct? Is he just gonna go over and overwhelm him? I, I don't know. I, I'm not saying it's a bad play either. He might be the guy I end up settling with as well. He's not 100% the guy I'm looking at right now, but given that he might be lower ownership compared to some of the other guys, like you said, he's, he's $100 cheaper um, than Eubanks, and yet there's a big odds discrepancy. So maybe people go with Eubanks, Azor floats under the table, well, who are the other guys in that price range? Smith, I don't like Smith. Vittori, well, we just said he was just going to go through the motions. Mm-hmm. Omar Morales, mm-hmm. no. We're OSP, I, I don't like OSP. Ricky Simon, that's a hard pass.
3: Exactly. Lynn
1: that's your next. That's your next guy. I feel like well, I'm going to. Linz gonna end. is 8,500. He's mid range, so I, I hear you 100. percent here.
3: I feel like I'm going to end up just leaving a fuck ton of money on the table.
1: Could be one of those weeks, right? Unique lineup.
3: Finally, Chase Sherman, Ike Villanueva. Here's the here's the strategy, here, Cody. I'm going to play Chase Sherman, and then if I lose, I just join the uh, the televised prelims. Uh, uh, there's always a second slate for like the televised prelims. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you go <laughs> yeah, when you move. go busto on the first one, then you're then you're then you're off to the races. Um, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll end up. I'm I know I'm going to end up rostering Chase Sherman. It's gonna be scary, but it is—it's it, happening. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of—I'm gonna be very, very mid-range this week. It's like Chase Sherman, Felipe Lins. Um, yeah, I, I gotta obviously work out the kinks of like roster construction and stuff. But I'm liking a lot more mid-range and some underdogs this week. I may just leave a lot of money on the table. We'll see how it all shakes out.
1: You know what? I I'll i I'll give you one thing there. That's actually low-key, not that bad. Chase Sherman, right? You gotta figure. Chase Sherman has absolutely nothing to lose. He didn't figure to get back in the UFC this quick. He's coming off a loss, technically. It's a bare knuckle boxing loss, but to Joey Beltran, of all people, the UFC has graced him with a you know what, we need a fight. You're a fun fighter, you're an action fighter, you always deliver the entertainment. We're gonna throw you a bone and throw you on just the first fight of the card, right? This is awesome. Chase Sherman is not going to go out and have a boring fight. He knows why he's here. He knows if he wants to keep this job, even in a victory or a loss, he's got to go for it. When this guy wins, man, he puts it on. Like Damian Grabowski, he landed 111 strikes. Rashad Coulter, he landed 103 strikes. He goes for it. His losses, he lost to Sakai, he landed 79 strikes. The fight against Willis, he landed 69 strikes. Like He's always going for it. And now they've blessed him with a middleweight opponent that figures to also do the same thing. Yep. Ike's not looking to have a boring performance. He, the UFC's not going to... He could win and they could cut him. He might be on a one-fight deal. This fight could be a one-fight deal. I haven't heard anything about four-fight contracts for either guys, it's a weird fight to throw on the first fight of a weird card in, in general. This is almost like a contender series matchup yep. here. You guys fight first and whoever wants it more and puts on a fucking show is going to get a contract out of it. And if that's the case, Sherman lands a hundred strikes, even with no takedowns and no knockout, he still gets up to that price. So I, I think at $8,400, not that's not a bad. The problem is, is that there's a lot of risk, you know, fuck it. Of We're course, gambling. Yeah. There's always going to be risk, but it's like, we we advise guys on a lineup. That's the way we're supposed to do our show. So if we advise you on a lineup. To, you know, and Chase Sherman gonna shit in your pie. I, I don't know. But as far as my one lineup goes, I don't mind Sherman. You play a hundred lineups, you're gonna definitely have some Sherman. But yeah, is he is he a surefire lock of the night? Take it to the biz. And Cody told me to like no no no. But like, does he have some upside? Good price tag, good feeling. For sure. So, again, as we talked about, some of these fights will have to get revised a few times in the next couple of days just because, you know, time constraints and scheduling. Yep. Um, but yeah, as far as right now goes, I feel confident with that. Yeah.
3: All right. UFC 249. We'll just, let's do like a five minute recap. We're already an hour and 36 minutes into the show. It's been very, very long. Um, and then, but yeah, uh, UFC 249. Well, great night. Great night all around. Everything worked out pretty well. Obviously, there was the Jackeray controversy, or not controversy. Yes, COVID nineteen. That sucks. They knew about it. There's a lot of people who are out, but at some point, you know, people are gonna have to start taking some risk here. Um, if it, of course, if you're healthy, and if you're healthy, and you know, you don't have any previous conditions or anything like that, people are gonna have to start taking some risks. Like we can't just shelter in place forever. I thought the UFC did a pretty good job, um, of you know, in this in the current climate that we that we live in, uh, Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson delivered as much as we possibly thought it could have. Holy shit! The amount of punishment that Tony Ferguson took, unbelievable. What a warrior! Um, uh, just people, I saw a few people like shitting on him afterwards. It's just like that guy is an absolute legend, warrior. Hopefully, yeah, at some point in in the future, they get the Habib fight to happen again like Tony was up there for so long 15 fight uh, wing streaks like it's not like he's done because he lost to Justin Gaethje in these types of situations like he's he's a one a a one win one big win away from like being right back in the title picture of course um anything to say about the main event
1: no I mean yeah it was a it was a five main event and yeah, we went, I think, 8-2 in picks. I had Tony Ferguson. So it was a good night. All good. But, uh, yeah, he, that was that was the one disappointment. As much as you can get lots of fights right, you're going to be wrong sometimes. Nah, I was wrong. He, We all kind of knew that he needed a few rounds to get going, and it was whether he could stay in it after those first two rounds. Anyway, he didn't get knocked out. He was in it. He landed a good shot at the end of the second. But it's like, yeah, that beating he took through the first 10 minutes, he never came back in it. Nah. That fight was fight of the night, right?
3: I believe so. Yeah,
1: I, mean, I disagree Nico, strongly. With yeah, that. Nico
3: Price and Luque got robbed there. Like they should. Hopefully that was they a got. Much better fight. Hopefully they got some backroom bonus money. You know, the money they don't tell you yeah. about.
1: Justin Gaethje deserved a, a performance bonus, right? Mm-hmm. Because he singularly had a great performance, but the fight itself wasn't all that entertaining. It was a show of. It was a show of will and chin and durability from Ferguson, but it wasn't competitive. Justin Gagey fucking kicked his ass, man. It was pillar to post. Yeah, there was a couple of good shots here and there from Tony, but Tony never even tried to take him down. There was no grappling exchanges. It was just striking, and yeah. believe me, he was losing those exchanges. So, whereas... When I look at Luke versus Nico Price, it was like, man, that was a good fight. It was close on the scorecards, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, both guys had moments. They were swinging bombs. It was nerve-wracking the whole time. I'm like, I-, I thought that was a better fight. But yeah, main event was a fine main event. Cejudo, did, I don't know. What did the he retire? Did he title. actually
3: retire? That's the real question here. i I kind of listening to him in like interviews and stuff. He sounds like a guy who just doesn't want to fight anymore. And I totally respect that. He's 33 years old. We always talk about flyweights. Just like, when is, when's the end of the line at flyweight? Well, or I guess he's at bantamweight now, but you know, these lower weight classes, like 36, 37, it's like, it's, it's hard to stay at that speed as you get older. He doesn't sound like a guy who really wants to fight whatsoever anymore. I'm totally on board if he wants to retire. Um, obviously we'd love to see him continue to fight. What a knee, what a knee. Obviously, Dominic Cruz, real salty as shit, calling out, uh, Keith Peterson. Like, yeah, don't get hit with that knee up the pipe. Um, especially after they had just watched and got like, uh, Herb Dean be a couple seconds late and like, we saw Jairzinho strikes lifeless body up against the cage, pinned up against the cage. You kind of, the next fight, you have a similar situation. I think it may have been a tad early from Keith Peterson, but, like, that knee was something ferocious. Like, Cruz cruised a dick for for saying he smelled like booze and or saying they smelled like alcohol and cigarettes. Just like, I bet you it was cigarettes? Yeah, I mean, uh, our boy Pokey Rob said, he's like, cigarettes? Of course. Like, Keith Peterson has a neck tattoo. I expect the Cigs. But but uh but the alcohol, it's just like everyone, I mean, my hands probably smell like alcohol because everyone's using hand sanitizer and shit. That shit's like 99% alcohol. So, like, shut up, Cruz. Take your L.
1: You know, there's a saying in the Bible, let he who lives without sin cast the first stone. And all I have to say to all of the people on Twitter that might be following Cruz's little escapade here is, who amongst us has not smelled like cigarettes and alcohol <laughs> in exactly. So, fuck yourself, Dominic Cruz. It's a free country, and this is Florida. Um, all jokes aside, I can't get into, like, promotions or, like, all that. And this is an amateur card, and it was in the States. non I can't, but, like, yeah, I've, I've had beers and, like, partied with raps between fights. So, like, I don't think... I don't think it happened here. I don't. I think he's being a sore loser. Even just the way the way the is interviewing him, you can see he's answering what she's saying, but he's thinking about something mm. like, "Should I fucking say it? Should I fucking say it? I don't know if I should say it. Don't say it." But he did, right? And then as soon as he says it, she's like, "Did he?" And he's like, "Yeah, absolutely."
3: She's like, "Oh absolutely. wow," because she didn't want to like be like, "Well, that allergy, didn't happen," dude. but. It was those are it's really bold statements. You're trying to get somebody fired. Like you better you better have receipts if you throw something out like that. You're trying to get a dude fired. Like that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. No. You're publicly yeah. trying okay, to okay. get somebody fired. You better have receipts. You have to know that the guy smelled like booze and cigarettes like the cigarettes fuck the cigarettes. Cigarettes are legal. Whatever. Um uh the yeah, drinking on the job as a referee trying to protect the safety of fighters during a coronavirus quarantine times. That's a different uh scenario altogether. So you gotta have receipts. You gotta know before you cash shots like that. And I'm actually I lost a little bit of respect for Dominic Cruz.
1: Well, you know what that's exactly it. It's like it's a bold allegation to make just in general, but also like it kinda it's a triple allegation, right? There's actually three allegations in that in that statement. People see cigarettes and alcohol, right? But mm-hmm. then he says these refs should be drug tested. Well, did you think cigarettes or alcohol would pop up on a fucking drug test, you dumbass? No. So what he's actually saying is probably got cocaine and weed in the system too. He just doesn't outright come out and say that because, again, it's just like a baseless allegation. But him insinuating or saying, well, these, these refs should be drug tested as well. It's like why? So in a week or two, he get a test back. I was like, oh shit, he was on drugs. I, I don't know. That's it's, a, it's actually a triple allegation. But I'm a, but I'm gonna I'm throw one last thing out here that actually really disturbs me, probably the most out of all of them. You know me, I mean? I'm a fine detail guy. I didn't actually take as much offense as that as this next thing. You watch fights. You are a connoisseur of the sport, Paul. You watch all these fights. You are analyst in that. You know we have to watch this stuff. We have to give away opinions, but you're in the know. You know the people in the community. You know what's going on in the sport, right? I feel I'm the same way. I feel 98, 97% of the people that listen to the show, if you're this far in the show, 100% of the people in the show are, are, are fans. They know. Okay, We all know. Dominic Cruz knows. He's one of us. He's an analyst. He sees things. He's involved in the sport. He knows what teams are at. He knows this fighter style. That's why people applaud him on his commentary. Look, mm-hmm. this guy, he, he knows. Okay, Right, everybody knows who Keith Peterson is. You watch fights, you watch Keith Peterson. We know who all the refs are. You know why? We watch fights, we watch these guys. Keith Peterson's not new. It's the way he says, oh, I saw the page of, who is this guy? Can I get a different referee? As if you don't fucking know. How many fights have you commented where you have sat there and it's Keith Peterson? And you're telling me you don't know this guy? Never heard of his name? Oh, I don't want this referee. It's like bullshit, man. Either you're not paying attention or you're a little bitch. And uh, you know what, dude? If I had a – not me, but I can get the mindset. Dude, world title fight. This guy just stole this opportunity from me. I was coming out of retirement to put on this one big bang. He's obviously salty. He's obviously sour, but yeah, he's one of those people that like wouldn't shake your hand and be like, "Oh man, you you beat me. You're the better man." He's one of those guys that would like go and try to get you fired from your job. Like, he's not a he's not a good person, man. He's a dick. He's piece shit, really.
3: Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of, um, hopefully, I don't know. He won't, he won't apologize either. That's the problem with him. That's why he's kind of a dick. Because
1: he's a dick. That's yeah. why. He won't uh, other, apologize. other people, I think,
3: like- I, um, let's, let me check his Twitter. Let's, before we cast stones at him, we said, you, you started that whole little tirade with something about casting stones. Let me just make sure, let's just look, Dominic Cruz on Twitter here. Let's make sure that, uh, that he hasn't been like, Hey, you know, I was just emotional. Cause I would respect that if he did.
1: Let no, just Peterson look, yeah. was lighting him up like a Christmas tree. I don't know if that's a real Peterson account. It didn't have a whole lot of followers. Christmas tree, dog. He lit him up so good.
3: Yeah, Dominic Cruz hasn't done shit. Fuck him.
1: All right, and,
3: um... Oh, yeah, the last thing I was going to say about Dominic Cruz, and I had mentioned this before. It's like, I have not always made the best decisions in life. Dominic Cruz is uh, so, like... I may know things or two about like what people look like when they've made bad decisions um Dominic Cruz doesn't strike me as a guy who knows whether you're whether or not you're on drugs at the time that's all I'll say about that um that's That's my final thought on that and uh, yeah, all these guys, mostly like Yair Zinio, Zeno and strike betters who are just like, Oh my God, Francis's technique is so bad, be- oh my god uh Uh, Jairzinhos would have caught him with that left hook. Here's the thing, guys. Francis and Ganu? No, that technique is not as clean as when he used to kind of take his time and and play with it. I think Francis has came to the realization, he's just like, my chin's pretty fucking good. My power is amazing. I'm just going to go and try to kill all these guys, and it's working. So I know it's not the cleanest crispest technique but like you live in your mom's basement stop criticizing a guy like francis anganu who would murder you
1: murder you you know what though man we're in the business of throwing out criticism like these guys are all murder Fucking Michelle Larson and Carlos Spars were fucking murder us. As much as I probably would be like, I got punches chance. Like, I don't fucking know, man. What am I going to tire it right after two minutes and get my ass kicked? Like, by the way, I've done jujitsu many of times. I've been submitted by women. Not a great feeling, but you know what? Not a bad feeling because you realize she got better technique. There's nothing I can do. It is what it is. What I'm saying is you, it's hard to criticize someone's technique but at the same time, like that's that's what we're we're here to do. Jorgen DeCastro, right? This is this goes to what you're saying, basically about like, oh, good technique, bad technique. It's all just like recency bias. He heard he beats his... Elton Meeks. Yeah. Right. He beats Melton Meeks, and I'll tell you something, right? He's a he's a fat, out of shape 205 er that lands a big old bomb. But fuck, man. Everyone likes this guy. Then he fights Justin Toffo's three fights into his pro experience, runs straight into it. No, still no one's saying, geez, this guy's a small little out-of-shape 205er who's not going to be able to close the distance on a real heavyweight. And he fights Hardy. Everyone's backing him, right? So what happens now when he fights a guy that's six inches taller than him? He swings everything more or less from the outside. He didn't really come in with the ball. And now everyone's saying, geez, this guy's a short, fat little 205er that should go back down. Like, what happened to him being a six striker? Whatever happened to him being everyone's favorite underdog, darling? It's like... Nah, man, you fight good, you're a great striker, everyone loves you, you're the man. You fight bad, you're a bad striker, everyone thinks you're a bum, you're no good. Like, that's that's the problem with the internet. Yeah, there's a lot of great people. There's also a lot of people that, you know, are know, just looking to throw some shade or looking to be an asshole. And I'm not saying saying Francis Ngannou was sloppy is being an asshole. Let's Dude, facts are facts. Guy was really sloppy with those punches. The facts are also facts in that... This motherfucker hands down. He just won the battle off of who's got the more pow-pow. And there's no there's no human being on the planet that takes a clean shot from this guy. I'm going to go as far as to say there's no animal on the planet that takes a shot from this guy. You think if this motherfucker hits a rhino or a bear in the head, that they're going to take it? Nah, dog. They're folding over. Francis Ngannou doesn't have to have great technique. I'll tell you why. Yeah. Because look at Justin Gaethje, masterful clinic performance. Mm-hmm. If he was in a straight boxing match against a boxer, he would have got fucking annihilated. All of his punches were loopy. They were over the top. They were from the hip. They were wild. You can't gauge timing on that. If you're fighting a technical boxer, he's got a boxing coach, you look, oh, the jab. He sets up the jab, jab the right hand. Oh, look at this tape. Paul, Paul, look at this tape. He, He jabs twice. He sets up on the left, throws the right hand over top. Then you can start to tape study. Then you can start to formulate a game plan. Then you can start to train for it. How... Would you train for what you saw on Saturday night? Duck under and get a takedown. That was the only thing you could have taken out of that. Otherwise, it's like you can't back up. One of them's going to hit you. You can't shell up. One of them's going to hit you. You can't move forward. One of them's going to hit you. Like, I get why people are saying well, at least Cormier and Stipe got a chance. They can both wrestle. Like, mm-hmm. nah, dude, not anymore. Cormier's. Too small, too old, and, and, and gone to and learn his lesson, man. He took his licking. That That's what needed to happen for him to advance. The Lewis fight was a mental, uh, mental relapse. He's overcome that. Fuck, the guy's got the goods. Anybody who gets mashed up with him is in for one hell of a time. Yeah. One hell of a time. Like and yeah. if he took, for whatever reason, he took a glory kickboxing match tomorrow against, you know, Rico Verhoeven, or I'm not going to say about Arharia, though he could be shot to bits, but... You know, Jamal Ben-Sadiq or Hesdy Gurges or any of the guys that are kicking around at the top of the heavyweight division? I'm like, dude, he's got a chance against any of those guys. Dude. Sure. Bob Sat back power.
3: in the day, like... Peter Nesto's Yeah, exactly. Crazy. It's just like you get to a certain level. Like, with heavyweights, it's just like you get to a certain level of power. And it's just like it doesn't fucking... That's why I always, I've always i been saying for, for years, and I don't think we're going to see it. But, like, Francis Ngani, you give me a plus 100, and I will bet it against, like... Jesus Christ, Jesus, Jesus Christ <laughs> moves up to one or 265 pounds, to take on France, and he's got like all of his miracles and shit, I'm still taking Franky, Frank, uh, Frankie murder at plus 100, because that power is, there's no coming back from it, he hits you really, really clean, and you're fucked, like the human brain
1: can only take so much. Yeah, he's just got, like, life-changing power, man. I mean, he's a scary, scary, scary and individual. Then I, and I think, yeah. The only crazy. thing
3: I'll finally touch on is, uh, yeah, so, J- Jorgen Castro, I had a little underdog play on that. That did not work out. The leg kicks were really working for him early on. I think he hurt his foot a little bit. But also on top of that, Greg Hardy adapted well. He's eating those leg kicks early on, but... You really started to see that reach that you were talking about as we were leading into the fight, the reach and his ability to stay at length, really kind of factor in and he was able to change his game plan and and, and find that range where he was going to be victorious. It's, uh, you know, Jorgen DeCastro is no special guy, but it is, we're continuing to see Greg Hardy develop more into who he is. He's not really a power guy. It's more of a, a distance fighter. He is ready for guys in the at like top 15 he called out whoever number 15 is in the heavyweight division i think that sounds about right i think he's ready to try it's heavyweight you can you can make moves really fast in this division that's all i really have to say about that um any final thoughts on the card anything else you want to add
1: well, uh, yeah, you know, uh, if we talk about the Verduma thing we'd be here all day. So oh, let's tr- I mean, sorry, to we told every. Yeah, sorry, my no, bad. Talk about <laughs> ever again. My bad. We told but, uh- we
3: we were so, like that one stung, man. I lost a. It would have been a good night. I came out slightly ahead, but like it's Verdum crippled a whole whack of shit. Um, I I had tunnel vision yeah, there. We- what am I gonna say? I I really didn't. Thing. I have, yeah, I love Olenek. I own a t shirt and shit. And it's like, I can't believe I bet against my boy at like minus 333. Like, Jesus. Yeah, Verdum looked pretty bad. He got into all the good spots and stuff too. It just, yeah, it didn't, just didn't work out. Um, uh, yeah. Took well, a m- licking on multiple that one.
1: Things to consider there. Multiple things to consider there is that one, uh, yeah, he, he, he had spots to win the fight. It wasn't like he got straight shit kick, got straight shit kicked first round. But like he did have spots. It was a split decision. It was a close split decision. It's no good. But 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 I just want to say that fight's a very prime example of where you touch back on what happens throughout the week because we do the show before fight day, obviously. Mm-hmm. But we did the show, and Fabrice Verdue eats this guy all day. Yeah. Then guy weighs in, and he looks awful. That's the first red flag. God, he looks bad. Yes, yeah, Olmec mm-hmm. looked really good, but but more so than that, just Fabio looked bad. Then the picture surfaces of him and Jacare.
0: The Jacare I mean-
1: tests positive. And then then the thought is that this guy's probably sick to a certain extent. Cardio might not be great. He'd been off for two years. Then we have people messaging us, and everyone's talking about it. And I lost money on it, for sure. But but I, I at least had the sense that at that point to be like, okay, I'm going to buy out of some of these bets. I'm going to put Olinick on a few bets, and I'm just not going to go all in on Verdun the way I had initially planned. You just got to kind of pay attention to how things go in the week. But, again, I mean, it's a crazy sport, and – We gave ten favorites. Yeah, we went into we just took all the favorites, right? The two underdogs, Gaethje. Everybody considered him a live underdog. Everybody had him as a live underdog. We had Ferguson to win. I had Ferguson, anyways. But Gaethje obviously was that live underdog. Olenek was not a live underdog, he? and he's one of the very, very, very few. He's one of two dogs that hit on the entire card. The one that nobody sucked so mm-hmm. for the most part. Some people, sure, for the most part, he was supposed to be the safe pick. It's that shit changes during the week. You got to keep up with it. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's pretty much all I got to say. The, the, the only thing I want to say with the Greg Hardy thing is, I doubled down a little bit on that that Hardy by decision, uh, because this is where you got to pay attention to things. Greg mm-hmm. Hardy comes out and he says, "I want to be the next John Jones." And everybody starts jumping down his throat. (laughs) This fucking idiot is not John Jones. This fucking idiot is not going to be a great fight. Like ba 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 ba. You know, all I heard when he said that, which was the day before the fight, all I heard when he said that was risk management, risk management, risk management. He's not saying I'm going to be John Jones. I'm the greatest. I'm the. I'm going to be a smart fighter. Exactly. Not a smart person, but I'll be a smart fighter. (laughs) <laughs> right. I made some decisions. Some people say I'm a piece of shit, but I'm not going to go in there and swing wild bombs. Yeah, yeah, there's a spot for that in the sport. And people love watching those great those great exchanges, but staying on the outside and just using better skill, better technique, like the NFL. I don't got to run through this guy. 100, I, I got to have a technique. I got to move him. I got to set. We got a game plan. Look, my coaches, you know how much tape study you do in college ball, let alone you're an NFL player. You know how many, like, they give you a team book and you got to memorize all these patterns in this place like he's not a fucking dumb person he's had a great camp with great coaches and he's a great athlete mm-hmm. he's not going to be the most entertaining heavyweight but he's going to be an effective heavyweight and i don't know if we're going to get a great bunch of uh underdog money on him by decision going forward because it seems like the blueprint's starting to come out but that was the play so. all
3: right and then uh before we get out of here i i, I, I see our boy uh, sims tout rob also known as Pogi Rob, he's got Pogi Rob on his uh, profile again. I hashed it out with him. We've talked about it a little bit. I'm like, lean into it, you, you know. I like what he's done with his uh, with his account. You should check him out. He's been absolutely crushing these Sims right now. Um, I'm i I'm I'm in on the game. It's uh, good good money to be had. So uh, reach out to our boy uh, at Rob Vieromich W I E R O M I E J. He's he's been killing killing the Sims game, guys. He's he's like he's crushing. Like he's winning thousands of dollars. Um yeah, let's uh keep that in the maybe the hush hush of where he's playing, but so that so that nobody tracks us down and bans our accounts. But uh yeah, he's been killing <laughs> it. He's been killing it. Um so yeah, l- look, look for him. Uh, that's why I'm burying this deep in the episodes so that like the real fans, the real fans will find this. But uh but yeah, hit him with the PRP there, Cody. Before we uh, get out of here,
1: yeah, for sure. Anybody who, by the way, anybody who has like six Xboxes just running simulations, <laughs> why would you not take their advice on something? Like, if I had someone told me, dude, I got six computers and I run all these tests and all these, it's like, I would definitely listen to what he has to say. Whether or not he would tell me, obviously, if he's going to beat Ben Rothwell, i oh, fuck, I'm picking Ben Rothwell. But I'd be like, shit, man. This guy's obviously taking the time and effort. So, yeah, I give full credit to Pokey Rob. Definitely a follow. But, yeah, I got to go with the PRP. We were two fights off from it in the last week. Mm-hmm. But we will get that son of a bitch eventually. We are going to go with Glover takes Sarah, Ben Rosswell, pair of dogs at the top. Then we're going to go with Drew Dober. We're going to go with. Uh, honestly, I'd love to say but we got to give all the picks mm-hmm. here. So, I, I will. Take Ricky Simon I'm going to take Ricky Simon I'm going to take Marvin Vittori I'll take Felipe Linz Tiago Moises Sinharo Eubanks Gabriel Benitez There's another dog Hunter Zor And Chase Sherman Obviously I am uncertain On about three of those fights mm-hmm. I don't feel real good about And uh, yeah, yeah You know what I mean Never quit Keep at it So that is it for now And yep. uh, this, this PRP would pay ooh, ooh, yeah, man. Way I more mean, this... than the last one Because we got dogs now, buddy this card in
3: general, man, there's, there's dogs. There's dog. Po- like, I remember there was somebody, like, I guess in the, I don't read very much of the comment section, but there was somebody in the comment section last week who was like, oh, they called themselves dog or pass, but it's like all favors. Just like, guys, we come in here and like, we're not just like actively like, oh, I need some dogs on. It's just like you, you go through every single fight as a single standalone type of thing. There's some dogs on this. Like, you can win Boku to Bucks if things break right. Um, I'm either gonna win a yeah. lot of money this weekend or I'm gonna lose mo like like pretty much all of it. That's the way this card kind of shakes out, but I love it. These are this is what we live for. This is last week's card, those odds were out for so long and like everything was juiced up to minus three hundred. It's like it's hard to really, really crush. Um, this is one that we could you could you can make a lot of money on this card. So I'm super excited. Thank you to Cody Saptik. We're at almost two hours of content for a Wednesday UFC card. What a world that we're living in. Thank you to Cody Saptik breaking down the fights with me as always. For Cody, I am Paul saying goodbye and good luck.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine.